Welcome to Roll With Adventure, a Dungeons & Dragons 5th edition podcast that transports you through the magic of imagination from our world to the far-off world of Ibris, a land full of heroes and villains, the evil and the divine, monsters and miracles, and, of course, magic. We are delighted to bring you this adventure from our imaginations to your ears. If you like what you hear, please subscribe for future episodes and follow us on social media. If you want to learn more about us and this podcast, please visit us at RollWithAdventure.com. And now, let's listen as our heroes roll with adventure. Hello and welcome to Roll with Adventure. This session's campaign is of salt and blood. My name is Cass and I am the dungeon master for this ragtag band of heroes. Today our journey into this tale of adventure, intrigue, secrets, and magic across the world of Ibris continues. This session begins as the double lunar eclipse of Ptolemy and Ashta aligns at dusk on the 6th of Altor. In the year 1069, Post Ruinam. As our party explores the sea caves beneath Caligos Manor in hopes of finding Quintal, saving Timaeus, and putting an end to the chaos once and for all. Now, before we dive right in, let's meet our band of heroes. To decide the order of introduction, let's roll player initiative, not character. And remember here, we roll with adventure. So, what intelligent delight or mind-numbing tale have you to share with us tonight? I will gladly start with my Halloween fact about my favorite part of Halloween. And that is candy corn. You see, world, I love candy corn. It's delicious, tastes delicious, and everyone who says it's garbage, well, not everyone can be right. I have wonderful facts about candy corn. Do you know there's more than 35 million pounds of candy corn sold each year? It's a good thing, too, because it's fat-free. Neither technically corn nor candy, it's gelatin-based, which is protein made from animals. And it is delicious. I'm going to give myself a plus two because candy corn's really good. Great. Well, you can have all of my candy corn. Um, I'm not a fan it tastes like nothing, and it's just not for me. But I do have a Halloween fact. You're welcome. Obviously, this episode's not coming out on Halloween, but we were recording it right before Halloween. That's why we're having Halloween facts. I learned that the Scream movie is based on a serial killer. I don't know how I didn't know this. It makes sense. But I just didn't know. There was a guy that killed a bunch of... Florida University students, and he inspired the Scream movies and a whole bunch of other stuff. There's, like, books and, I don't know, there's been a bunch of TV shows and stuff, but I just had no idea that it was actually inspired by a real person. So, that's my fact. I'm taking a plus one, because it's thematic, I think. I didn't know that either, and that makes the movie less comical to me. Anyway, my Halloween fact is I learned that 
a good friend of mine, this is no joke, this happened this week, I learned that a good friend of mine is a descendant of one of the women who were hanged in Salem in 1692, which is pretty Halloween-y. So I'm going to take a plus one because it's irrelevant to me, but I feel enriched for knowing, so happy Halloween, everyone. I am less than six degrees of separation removed from Jack the Ripper. Wait, what? You know how everybody's supposed to be connected by like six degrees of separations? Yeah. Yeah, anyways, there was a prostitute who one evening needed a doctor for a friend who is giving birth. And she went to find a doctor and then later that night was murdered by Jack the Ripper. And my friend's great uncle was the doctor that she went to go get before she was murdered. So I am less than six degrees of separation from Jack the Ripper. So there's my Halloween-y fact. So mine's not much of a fact, just a funny little meme thing, or mind-numbing one, really. Uh, I saw a picture of a guy, picture of someone saying, screw jack-o'-lanterns, I'm going to make a potato lantern, which is exactly what you think it sounds like. A potato carved out with a face of a jack-o'-lantern. So I'm going to take a negative two for that because that was not funny. Well, it was a little funny, but pretty mind numbing that I didn't think of something like that. Did you know originally they used to carve turnips instead of potatoes or instead of uh, pumpkins? They're really terrifying. Those were the days. Yeah, way back, you know, way back in the day. Additional fun fact. I like Halloween. Sorry. I forgot to say I'm taking a minus two because I want... <laughs> to be further away from Jack the Ripper. So now you're eight degrees of separation away, if you're minus two. I hope. Let's see what you roll. You got 21. Wow. I got a four. I got a three. I also got a three. I got a two plus one. I got a two plus one also. <laughs> oh no. I wasted an at 20, and so that'll be an 18 for me. Hello, world. Carlos here, and I play Marcus Evander, a scout in the Tauran army who, for sure, would love candy corn. Hi, my name's Allie, and I'm playing Maya Bolta, a former human cleric of Cain, now a ghostly cleric of Cain, accompanying her party on their terrible, terrible adventures. Hello, everyone. My name's Corey, and I play Kalina Floros, who's a human fighter that was an ex-soldier in the Tauran army. And while she hates candy corn... Corey loves it. Hello, I'm Emmy. I'm playing Sylvie Antaeus, a half-elf monk, and she hates caves and being the feeling of being stuck underground, so this is going to be a really fun adventure for her. I'm Disco, and I play Alice, the radiant Genasi, druid of the half-moon circle, who is looking at a rather peculiar moon on this night. Oh, and he's a walking, talking magic mirror with a cat frame necklace. Now that everyone has introduced themselves, let's get this adventure rolling. And remember here, we roll with adventure. Dusk falls. The last sliver of soul dipping beneath the horizon as the sky turns from orange to red to purple, to indigo, to black. Waves crash upon the jagged rocks below you. Rocks that you look upon. Rocks that seem familiar. 
covered in barnacles, seaweed, and fractured, piercing, slicing fragments. Rocks upon which each of you, excluding Marcus, have bled in your dreams. Was it ascending, or were these dreams simply a prophecy of what is to come? In the distance, the twin moons of Ibris rise. Ptolemy, the Grey Mother, larger of the two, a divine gift forged by Morgan, that soul may spread his light during the darkness of night. And Ashta, the Purple Child, a capricious moon, one layered in stories of mischief and treachery. Their lights, gray and amethyst, should alight the skies this unhallowed night. But their proper lights do not shine. Instead, they both reveal a baleful, crimson radiance. For twin blood moons rise. As their lights shine down upon you, you are filled with sense of impending doom, of primal fears, and in the dark depths of this island, a fell heart beats. Kugosa is rising. What will you do? Will you flee? Or will you muster your courage and stand against Kugosa's rising tide? What a question indeed. <laughs> what are we going to do, guys? Was that in character or was that out of character? I guess it was in character. Why not? I guess it was in character. <laughs> I don't think we have a choice. We have to go. We have to stop him. We have to get Maya's body back. And I don't think we can leave this house either way. So, And, and we have to free everyone who's been trapped here for all these years. And if we don't kill it, it'll just come after us anyway. It would seem that our destiny has led us to this spot. So it's either death or light death. I don't think Maya has the luxury of choosing between the two. And if an anchor is holding the ghost to this place, what if we remove it and... Maya's gone forever. What do we do then? If it's my time, then it it just means that, that my name was in the lady's book. And surely that would be better than being trapped here forever, right? Yes. I don't I don't want to be trapped here forever and and I don't see how any of you can leave. I certainly certainly don't want any of you to die here. And for us all, all to be trapped here. But Maya, you could look at it as more of a vacation in the not afterlife, pre-life, what, right, life, whatever it is. And we could come visit you, but, but uh, what, what would we do? I, I don't know. I don't think any of the, the ghosts trapped here would consider this a vacation and... Even if you could get out, I don't know that you could come back and, and visit me. And I do not want to be trapped with the shark creature. Well, we can just kill that thing. If it made 
one, couldn't it make more? Then we could just kill it again. I mean, if Kalina kind of just mumbles and goes silent. I don't know if we can save me, but I think that we can save Timaeus, and we should try. Don't worry, Maya. I'm sure we'll find a way to save you, too. I don't... I don't know what we would do without you. Maybe just if we focus on ending the evil, when the time comes, we can cross that bridge of goodbyes or reunite, you know? Yes. We don't know anything for sure, except that we do need to stop the horror that lives here. Whether we can save me or not, that's... You're right, Marcus. That's practical. That's something... We'll cross that bridge when we come to it. Don't just call it a horror, Maya. Do not be afraid to say its name. Kagosa! 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 We're gonna kill you! And Alice will just be, like, yelling off into the ocean about how they're gonna kill Kagosa. The ground shakes. Oh, no. Don't... You can't say its name three times. It's always bad things happen when you do that. Good. Maybe it's scared. Cass? Yes? Can I tap my finger to the ground and use my new Mold Earth cantrip to, like, counteract the shaking? In a really small area? Yes. You, you can counteract it so that it doesn't seem to be shaking as much for you guys, say. But the shaking's only there for a little bit, and then it subsides. Behind you, up the tunnels you've come down from to this open sea cave. The stench of death, of blood, of meat, of rot, drifts. It comes in a wave, almost as if the breath of a great beast. There's only one more cave for you to search down here. Only one more path that goes deeper. What will you do? Maya will start gently floating in that direction, not leaving her companions behind, but indicating that, you know, okay, we've talked. It's time for us to Kalina will draw the long sword and follow down. Marcus will do the same. Follow, not draw a blade. Sylvie would follow behind everybody else. Alice will take one last look at the moon and throw his hood over his head and follow the group. From the open sea cave, you move deeper into the system, passing through the chamber of stagnant tidal water in brackish pools covered in grime and mold, until you come to a cavernous passage to the west. It leads deeper into the depths and turns ever so slightly. A thick layer of muck and grime and mold clings to these walls, and a warm, foetid wind that smells of rotten fish wafts up. Ugh. I'm gonna be sick. I thought a 
battlefield smelled bad. It does, but there's nothing like the smell of rotten fish that makes I am suddenly very grateful that I don't have a stomach. Yeah, it's pretty awful as you descend into this passage. Its wall ever so slightly turning as you continue deeper. It suddenly opens. The most striking difference from the caves behind you is the abrupt change to the stone of the one before you. While the rest of the caves appeared to have been carved naturally into the sandstone by erosion and minor excavation, this chamber is both an entirely different kind of stone and has clearly been shaped by humanoid hands and tools. It is illuminated by a large crystal embedded in the ceiling that casts this room in a greenish, noxious radiance. One that, illuminating the black stone of these walls, tricks the mind, perhaps, to almost think that the webbing that slowly moves across the stone is of a deep green, wet and slick, without even the presence of water. Likely this chamber is carved into the stone that makes up the base of the sea guide. The chamber before you is roughly 60 feet long, 40 feet tall, and 20 feet wide at its thinnest. Well, it reaches to 40 feet wide at its widest. Shaped like the head of a hammerhead shark, this space has a light curve along its back, with a bulging half-circle of steps leading down from this cavern's tunnel entrance through an amphitheater to a circle at the center. Two arches on the left and right wings of the chamber lead off into darkness, perhaps smaller chambers. The wings, the winged tips of a hammerhead's head. On the far wall, directly across from the entrance to this chamber you have come in through and down the steps of the amphitheater is a raised stone dais with a crude altar. Upon it, Maya's lifeless body. A brownish stain runs from this altar, caking it down the dais and to four cracks in the floor before it that act as a drain for this chamber. The noxious and rotting odor issues forth from these cracks in cyclical fashions, like the breath of a great beast. These cracks are arranged in a symbol you are very aware of. Three vertical lines, with one horizontal bisecting them. Kugosas. As you take in the sights of this forgotten temple, 
movement catches your eye. Timaeus, in human form, enters your field of vision. He stumbles and moves like a puppet in a play, with jerky motions that contort his body in ways it is clearly not intended to be. His olive skin is thick with blood. Is it his? Someone else's? You don't know, but you hope that he has not garnered it from Maya. The last remaining vestiges of his guardsman uniform cling to his frame, ripped and torn by repeated transformation. But he is not cold, for draped over his shoulders is a cloak of stitched shark skin. He stands by Maya's body, his head lolled to one side, before eyes like those of a shark snap open and look up at you. From Timaeus's mouth issues not his voice, but the voice of Quintel. Welcome. Do you have anything to say to Quintel, or will you act hostily and let combat begin? Maya definitely has something she wants to say, but Allie doesn't want to step on anybody's toes if they have something that they would like to shout out in the heat of the moment. I believe you have, like, purview because it's your body on the table. <laughs> so I would say go for it. Queen has something she wants to do based on what you're going to do, but she can wait. Maya is... Her ball is going to glow a little more brightly, and she's going to expand out into her full form with the the beautiful hair and the ball gown and everything, and her giant axe, which she's just holding, not not quite in a threatening manner. And she's going to say, Timaeus, we're here for you. Be strong. We know that you can beat him. And she's going to start to take a few slow steps forward. While Maya's saying that, Kalina will try to lean over to Marcus and be like, Hey, hey. Play along. Okay. And then yell at Quintel. While I'm here, and she'll grab Marcus kind of hard and, like, shove him forward a bit. Oh, yes. We are here. Obviously to do something. I don't know what it was to do. I'm sorry. You'll feel Kalina's blade kind of at your back as we're walking forward. She's, like, kind of pushing you a bit forcefully. Oh. 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 Oh, no. Kalina, this betrayal. You are now evil. Oh, this is horrible. What am I supposed to do? Will you please both roll me deception checks because of Marcus's acting? Sure will. I am so bad at this. Hey, eight. Oh, man, what is my time? Deception. <laughs> this is going to go as planned. Oh, that's not, that's not too bad. Oh, that's terrible. That's a nine. Timaeus's mouth will twist open in a smile and as it does you see the humanoid teeth that he has suddenly sharpen and Quintal possessing this body will throw the head back <laughs> and then snap its mouth closed looking up at you I'll take that laughter as a sign that you know your plan is complete and I'm somehow be a sacrifice. Kalina doesn't say anything, but keeps moving forward towards the altar. Ow. While this is going on, Alice, Sylvie, do you guys do anything? 
Do you say anything? What goes through your head at Kalina's sudden yet inevitable betrayal? No. Can I tell they're acting? Please roll me an insight check. Can I do this also? Yes. Okay. I got a 12. I got a 15. So you both realize that they're both horrible actors and you would never go pay to see them. But Sylvie, you recognize that the way Quintil is laughing and the way he's moved his body, he is not bought into Marcus and Kalina's deception. If anything, you get this feeling that they might be walking into a trap. Can I try and hide the casting of Minor Illusion to make it look like blood is coming out of where Kalina has the knife to Marcus to make it look more realistic? If that makes sense. Your minor illusion, you're able to do it at... Your minor illusion, you're able to do it as a bonus action. Because of Moonlight Illusionist. Minor illusion doesn't have a verbal component, but it does have a somatic component. Normally I would say no, but because we don't have a sorcerer and no one has metamagic, if you'd give me a sleight of hand check... I will allow it. Okay. But I should warn you. If you beat his passive perception, he won't notice it. If you do not, he will notice it, recognizing an arcane gesture. And we will roll initiative. Oh, I didn't want this. I guess no one would take back these. No joke, it's an 18. And thank God I got that plus one to my decks in our last level up. So that is a plus four in my sleight of hand. So 18, 19, 20, 21, 22. 22 sleight of hand. A stain of blood blossoms across Marcus's back where the tip of Kalina's dagger touches it. Ow. Oh my, she means it. Oh no. (laughs) Sylvie. As... Kalina and Marcus are walking forward, so we would kind of keep pace with them, but off to the side a little bit, because she's worried about them. Not because she believes what's happening. And I think kind of in between snippets, she would say, Timaeus, I know you're in there. We're going to fight this thing. I I need you to fight with us. We can do it. We can beat him, but we need your help. So that everyone is aware... Quintal is approximately 45 feet from your party, standing behind the altar at the other side of the amphitheater. Your party is currently at the top of it. Maya's kind of got tunnel vision. She is very monofocused on what she's doing. She's going to say, Quintal, you were hurt, but what you have done is unforgivable. For the suffering you have caused, I will show you no mercy. Timaeus and I will take his body back, and then my friends and I will kill you. And as she quickens her pace away from her comrades, she's going to say, Sylvie, stay close to Kalina. And I'm going to use my, what's it called? Emboldening bond. So as long as they're within 30 feet of one another, once per turn, they can roll a d4 and add it to an attack roll, an ability check, or a saving throw that they make for the next 10 minutes. And you're going to speed towards Quintal? Yeah. 
as you are speeding towards him, as Sylvie's words have reached out, that same smile is going to break over his face. You think that you can reach him. And for the briefest of moments, Quintal's spirit extends, pulling itself partially out of Timaeus' body, and places his face cheek to cheek beside Timaeus. This look of hopelessness, of loss, in Timaeus' eyes, before he sneers and looks at you. He is mine! Everyone will initiative. Sorry, guys. Good lord. Kalina got a seven. I also got a seven. Since I know you both have a plus four to dex, can I have a roll-off, please? Fight me. I got a four. I got a five. Oh, this is gonna go great. This is gonna be a great fight. Alice has a fifteen. Maya also has a fifteen, but Alice will definitely go first. Marcus also got a fifteen, so... Okay, so it goes Marcus, then Alice, then Maya. But what is your familiar? So they have a four. As Maya becomes a speeding blur of light shooting towards Timaeus, he reaches behind his back, drawing forth the jagged dagger of shark teeth. Life is fragile, but death, death is strong. And I am stronger than your friend ever was. He brings it down, slashing his palm, and flecks of blood fly out, scattering amongst the bones strewn throughout the various rows of the amphitheater. Really important question here. Did he get any of his yucky blood on the beautiful clothing that Alice made for Maya. Most assuredly. Oh, this is too distressing. Oh, he's gonna wish he didn't do that. In Kugosa's name, let your forms be broken. As the droplets fall upon the bones, they dislodge themselves from where they lay and fly up, striking towards each of you. Everyone, please give me a dexterity saving throw. Three. 19 for Mark. 24. 22. I got a 13 plus 2, so 15. What about your familiar? Also rolled a 13, which should be some kind of like magic thing, and that will give me a 15 for my cat. Double 13s. All you need is a third one, then something magical will happen. You promise? Old man Longstep comes from the ceiling. Please, please. Don't forget the petrified wood! For those of you with a 15 or higher, you manage to just barely twist out of the way, avoiding being skewered by these projectiles of bone. For those of you with 14 or lower, you are unable to twist out of the way in time. A bone slices through you. You take four piercing damage. And unfortunately for you, Maya, this damage is magical in nature. I was about to say no. Gosh darn it. I was like, I'm resistant to piercing. No, fine, fine. Your familiar probably flicks up its tail 
as a bone goes by, deftly avoiding its beautiful furry tail being skewered. And it yawns, taking in the scene for the first time in a while. Marcus, it's your turn. You're approximately 35 feet from where Emmaus stands on the other side of the stone altar upon which Maya's body lays. Marcus is going to look at, I guess it's Quintal at this point, right? Technically. It is Timaeus possessed by Quintal. I'm going to look at the bad thing. I am going to pull out my hands as I feel that there is new energy I haven't quite tapped into yet. And as I pull out my hands, I'm going to just utter the first words that sort of come to my head. It's all new. All right, let's see if I can do this. Arm, 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 and I'm going to cast Armor of Agathus. Are you moving forward as you're saying this? I'm just standing still. As Marcus utters these words, his palms slowly opening, motes of moisture are going to be drawn from the air around him, forming into a aqueous spectral simulacra of a very archaic form of armor that is etched in this greenish teal sort of light. And for the listeners, it is armor of Agathis in always but one. It is not cold damage. It is acid damage that will be dealt by this spell for anyone foolish enough to attack him. And then as a bonus action, I'm going to go ahead and point at Quintal Thameus, and I'm simply going to use the energy that I have that I feel is coursing through my, I don't know, arms, veins, and I'm going to cast Hexblade's Curse. Not cast, I'm going to use the feature, I suppose. So as you reach out your hand, Marcus, towards Timaeus, possessed by Quintal, Quintalmaeus, the shark monster in human form, you're going to close your hand sharply into a fist. And there's going to be an almost a dripping sound. Drip, drip, drop. And while you can't see it, the stone behind Timaeus, the stone behind the dais in which Timaeus is standing on, is going to become muddy, slippery suddenly. And these strange spectral river reeds and kelp and marsh grass dripping with fen water are going to start forming and wrapping up around him, slowing his movement a bit. And you now have access to your Hexblade's curse upon him. Aha, take that. I have no idea what I just did, but take that. It's my turn. Are you going to move? I don't want to really get any closer to this thing. I'm, I'm, I'm going to move five feet in front. Could you always do that? I'm going to be honest with you, I have no idea. 
Maybe. Alice is staring in awe, by the way. You are now 30 feet from where he is behind the altar. Alice, it's your turn as you stare in awe at Marcus and the magic he has just summoned forth. Magic that you never sensed inside him before. Yeah, it's like Alice has met a new superhero for the first time. Seeing these tendrils crawl upon the creature in a negative way, Alice will wave his hand to try and reinforce them, and I'm going to attempt entangle on him. Go right ahead! Okay, so I need a, a strength saving throw, and I know he's really strong, so I'm hoping for luck. Fortunately for you... He rolled exceedingly low. Unfortunately for you, he has utilized his legendary resistance to instead succeed on the saving throw. No! What will your entangle look like, even though it's not going to succeed on him? There aren't the conventional roots and vines down here, but the area is covered in algae. Cass, I have to tell you that algae would no doubt in a space like this be the plant and for everyone who doesn't know algae is a menace upon this earth i want it to look like vomit though like algal vomit chains like come up from the surfaces of the wet rock and cling to the creature but if you look close like you know they're like little plants but it looks like vomit so as these chain as this there's a sudden expansion of growth that spreads across that area you're gonna see it crisscross over top of the cracks in the floor that form the symbol of kugosa and crawl up the dais wrapping over maya's form but where it connects with Timaeus, you see him just slightly shake and move, it breaking and falling away as it tries to grasp onto his form. Are you going to move? Ah. Where can I continue to gain distance and cover, is my question. Nowhere. <laughs> this is an amphitheater. It is basically just steps and large ringed seats unless you were to go all the way down and then off to one of the wings on the side of the head and go into there the only place you could theoretically see cover is in the tunnel behind you and if you do then you won't be able to attack alright is everyone in front of me like in a line essentially Sylvia's off to one side okay Kalina has Marcus in front of her and Maya has raced ahead. So Maya, Kalina, and Marcus, you could probably say they're in a line, but Sylvia's off to the side. Okay, whichever side Sylvia's off to, Alice will run more to the opposite side of it while maintaining distance to kind of split the, the line even more. And that's my turn. As these links of algae, of vomit-like algae try to wrap up around Timaeus's form. You'll see him shrug and sort of twist a bit, the billows of his cloak nicking against them, cutting them, and he will just begin to laugh. 
and Lance. Maya, it's your turn. Maya is going to shout to Sylvie, help Timaeus remember who he is, and then she's going to try to overlay her ghostly form over top of Timaeus' body so that she, she wants to have a mental fight with Quintal, if that's possible. She wants to try to push him out of Timaeus' body. Can I tell a story to Timaeus or something like that to help reach him? Why don't you give us the story, and I'll decide if I give you advantage on the check. Timaeus, you remember that day in prison? I hadn't been there very long, and Katrin was picking on Sylvie, and she wouldn't let, leave her alone, and all Sylvie had done was ask a few too many questions, and... And she, she got aggressive, and I stepped in to fight her, and you could have punished both of us. Most of the guards would have punished both of us, but you cared. You saw that Katrin started it, and you didn't send me to the furnace. You cared about all of us. Please roll a straight charisma check with advantage. I make myself cry here in the process of telling these stories, let me tell you. That's a nat 20. Uh, so that's 22. For all of you, what you see as Maya tells this story is she begins to overlay her form and then she vanishes. To you, it looks as if Quintal Timaeus simply breathed, breathed her in, and she's gone. Well, that's new. This quake, or sort of a quiver, runs across Timaeus's body. As he passes the knife to his other hand and slices across that palm. In Kugosa's name, let bone rob you of sight. He raises his hand into a fist, and you see the various bones around the room begin to float upwards. You ready yourself. This time, hoping that he will attempt to strike in the same manner. But instead, he brings his fist down in a jerking manner, and with it, the bones that float in the air crack, fractures forming across them, and suddenly burst, showering all of you in a spray of bone dust. Everyone except Maya, please make a constitution saving throw. DC 15 against blindness. You know, I should be good at this stuff. <laughs> I got a 13. I'm going to use my d4 from Maya's spell. Remember, Corey, you have the d4 from Maya's emboldening bond. I had completely forgotten about that. I'm going to use that now. Ooh, it put me up to 16 with that roll. I got a 13 total. My cat and I both succeeded. Oh, I just hit 15. Kalina, Marcus, and Alice are successful. So I guess, Sylvie, you're blind. Let's see if you stay blind as long as you were deaf last time. A whole fight. Forever. Oh, no. For Sylvie and for Kalina, every once per turn, you can add the D4. This is not a one-time thing. For the next ten minutes, you can add the D4 every turn. So remind me, is that the any saving throw? That's helpful. An attack roll, an ability check, or a saving throw. 
And is it per turn or per, per round? It says once per turn they can roll a d4. Then that is on every single turn. So every time someone affects you with something, so long as two effects don't come on the same turn, then you have it. But we have to stay within 30 feet of each other, right? You must stay within 30 feet of each other. You have this sudden deep sense and feeling of connection to Sylvie, as if she is an extension of yourself. As if you know how she's feeling and you know how you're feeling. As Sylvie's, uh, as bone dust flies into Sylvie's eyes, you might even briefly think you're blinded through the connection, but realize that something maybe has happened to Sylvie. And with that, Sylvie, it is your turn. Great. As she goes blind, she's going to gasp and say, Oh gosh, it's so dark. Sylvie has dark vision, so she's not used to it being really, really dark. So she's not feeling great. For the purpose of blindness... Ooh, is it just like, there's dust in my eyes I can't see? Or is it magic? The bone dust that stings your eyes is infused with the fear of the hunted. Your vision swims. You may at times see hazy snapshots. At other times, pure darkness. Or the splash of vermilion. Blood. All the while... Within this prison of blindness, your own fear of the dark preys upon you, pushing your mind to imagine the horrible things that might happen to your friends while you are unable to help them in any way. As an action on each of your turns, you may make a constitution check to try and get the dust out of your eyes and end this blindness. Great. That's what I'm going to do then, because... Sylvie really doesn't like the dark, it turns out. Oh my god. Okay. I'm gonna add that d4 again, and... Okay, great, I got a 15, so... With that result, you'll be able to blink enough out of your eyes and wipe it away on your sleeve that you can continue with your turn. You have a bonus action and your movement. Okay. That was awful. I don't recommend. I don't have any bonus actions that I want to do. How far away is he? If you are keeping pace with Marcus and Kalina, you are 35 feet. Marcus is now 30 feet from him. I think Sylvie's really nervous, so she could move all the way to him, but she's not going to. But she is going to move forward like 15-ish feet, so that she's closer than everybody else. Are you going to use your bonus action for anything? No, that'll be my turn. Kalina, it's your turn. All right, so her plan with two shifts, she's like, damn it, Maya. And how far is Maya's body from here, from where Kalina's standing? If you are 35 feet from where Timaeus is, Timaeus is standing right behind Maya's body and the stone dais. So probably about 30 feet from you. I'm going to first go up to Maya's body. Uh, I don't know if I'm going to trigger anything, but that's what Kalina's is doing. You're going to charge towards Maya's body, running past where Marcus is? Yep. You book it down the steps, pacing past him. If you're going in a straight line, and because this is 30 feet, you'll need to do it in a straight line to get there. There is a section of the floor that currently is covered in a whole bunch of algae that has a very large series of cracks in the symbol of Kugosa. 
you'll need to jump it if you want to go straight for Maya's body. All right, I will attempt to jump it. How long jumps work is when you make a long jump, you cover a number of feet up to your strength score. If you move at least 10 feet on foot immediately before the jump. When you make a standing long jump, you can leap only half that distance. Either way, each foot you clear on the jump costs a foot of movement. I will definitely be running, taking off on a run after this. Uh, so I can, I've got a plus three, so I can jump three feet. No, what is your strength score? Oh, the actual score itself? Uh, 16. You will be able to clear this these cracks and land just with enough that you're able to skid a bit further forward. Algae and muck spraying up around you, probably getting across some of Alice's really nice clothes he's made for you, and you are just in front of Maya's body. You are lower than Maya's body, though. Oh, so I have to, like, climb up to get to it. It is on a raised dais, so it's probably about five feet above you. Where your arms and head are, you you can, you could theoretically, like, reach up and touch her. Okay, can I see Quintus from here? Quintal is right behind. Probably now, he's looming right above you. Alright, I will climb up on that thing. Uh, I will basically uh, action dash to climb up on it. Climbing up on it, you're now standing probably over top of Maya, looking down at Quintal. What are you gonna do? Alright, she'll go, I'll kill you in a minute. And she's going, is Maya's body bound at all, or is it just laying there? It's entangled. Okay, she's gonna try and free it. Because Entangle only designates a strength check for the restrained creature to free theirself, we're going to house rule that someone else can make the same check as an action to free another creature restrained by Entangle. Kalina, you can get into position to start pulling this LG off Maya's body. Use your movement and then your full action to dash. You don't have another action to be able to free Maya this turn. Okay, I'll action surge for this then to get the extra action for that. All right, I would like to try and rip Maya's body out of these. Give me a strength check. Oh, come on, please be good. And I'm assuming, am I still within 30 feet of Sylvie after I did this, or did I... Because Sylvie moved 15 feet forward, you are still within 30 feet of her. That's an 18. Alice, what is your spell save DC? 14. You will rip these growths and strands of algae that have wrapped and hold Maya's body. And once you do, you lift her up. And as you do, are you going to use the remainder of your dash movement to jump back or anything like that? Or are you just pulling her up into your arms? Yeah, I would like to grab her and try and run as far back as I can. Although, I don't know if I'll be able to make it to the gap and jump that way. You could jump, but you might not clear the entire distance. Unfortunately, though, for you, if you do move from here, you will incur an attack of opportunity. He is going to slash out with the fang of Kagosa, the blade that is made from various teeth and bone melded together with some Icarus resin-like substance, and he's going to slash out towards you with it. Does a 21 hit you? That it will. You will take nine slashing damage as you jump back from him, holding Maya's body against you, and rather than trying to jump and clear the crack in the floor, you can either head off to the left or the right. You realize that with Maya's extra weight, you're as likely to fall into that crack as you are to make it across. Do you want to head towards Alice on the side or Sylvie on the other side? What would get it the furthest away from Quintal? 
they will both be equal. Normally, you'd be able to get 20 feet from Quintal, but because you're carrying Maya, you can only get 10 feet away from him. Okay, but I realize I'm not going to be able to clear the jump. No, you will not be able to clear the jump. Okay, I will go towards Alice. As Quintal brings the blade back, he's going to look out amongst all of you. I grow tired of this game. I am the herald of Kugosa, the chosen of the blood letter, and you will feed my master's appetite. And as the words of Quintal issue forth from Timaeus's mouth, they twist into a horrific, howling scream. He raises his two bloodied hands, dropping the dagger. And he will slam them together with a crimson flash of light. Timaeus's body quakes and contorts as his flesh bulges and grays, bones snapping as they shift before your very eyes. The gray dorsal fin breaking from the flesh of his back with a spray of blood, and along his front, the flesh splits, ichor and gore spraying outwards to those in front of him. Unfortunately, the only person standing in a line with him still is Marcus. Marcus, will you please make me a dexterity saving throw? This is all going according to plan. I shall be the shield. The rogue is the tank. <laughs> Just as we all thought would happen. That is a 16. Viscera and blood spray towards you, filled with tiny shards of splintered bone and cartilage. But where it falls into your armor, this aqueous armor, it disintegrates. You are untouched and unfazed by his attack. I'm not gonna lie, that really scared me. I might have peed a little, but alright. Alice, what does your familiar do? What does my familiar do? What a question. I would like it to get as close to Kalina and Maya's body as possible. Well, your familiar does have a 40-foot move speed, and if you dashed, your familiar could go up and go across and then come down onto Kalina's shoulders. I would like it positioned, like, next to them. Your familiar is going to sort of hiss. It's going to open its mouth hiss, probably a small little bit of the viscera that got spewed from uh, the transformation got onto it, and it is looks at it with disdain and hate. If this stains my scales! And then it's gonna just take off, swirling and flying through the air, undulating. It moves strangely, like a snake born upon the wind, as it writhes up, across the room, and then down, curling around Kalina's neck. What does your familiar... What do you want... What kind of message did you intend for your familiar to say to Kalina as it landed? Words of encouragement. <laughs> like, go encourage Kalina. As it comes down, landing gently around your neck, Kalina, it is very warm, and it's just going to stop and rest on you, and as its gaze locks with yours and it flicks out its tongue, it's going to go, If I were betting on this, I'd say you have a 50-50 chance of survival. Eh, I've had less. Into the soul prison. Not the soul prison. 
into the soul prison we go. Maya, you are now removed from your initiative in combat. Uh-huh. But if you exit this space, you will return to the same spot you were in combat. Okay. Your actions will now be dealt with at the end of each round. Mm-hmm. While you are within this place. You open your eyes to a brightly lit vista. You stand at a raised railing of stone, overlooking orchards of grapevines that sprawl beneath the sun. A path through the orchards leads towards a small clearing, its contents obscured by wisps of greenish light. Behind you is situated a well-appointed villa, in the style of Talren's southern coastal cities. The front doors stand open, wisps of yellow light filter from them. Below you, beneath the balcony, a door to a cellar or underground storage of some kind hangs open. Wisps of red light thread up from it. Just down the road, a barn rises. Some chickens and ducks peck at the ground around it, while the bleats of goats sound through the air. Gray light threads through the open doors. You feel drawn to the light. Will you approach the villa in the yellow light? The clearing in the orchard and the green light? The cellar and the red light? Or the barn and its gray light? Well, as red is Kane's color, despite the fact that Allie thinks going to the cellar is a horrible idea, this is where we are going. And as she walks there, she's going to call, Timaeus? Are you here? There is no answer, and as you step into the red light, you are briefly blinded before the light diminishes to reveal that you are standing in a small, cramped room, a room you recognize as a guardsman's bunk. The room is cramped, dominated by four pieces of furniture, a bed, a desk, and a chair, and a small chest at the foot of the bed. The sound of ragged breathing and the stench of sickness fills the room. You scan it, and your gaze lands upon Timaeus's form laying abed. He is pale, flushed with fever, yet tinged slightly green from nausea. A form leans over him, a shadow of a figure. It whispers softly, I can make this end. I can give you strength. Simply let me in. Timaeus, delirious with illness, croaks. Yes. And the shadow disappears within him. You see his skin quake and quiver, his flesh snapping and changing, transforming into the monstrous shark creature you have come to know. And all the while he screams. At the edge of your perception, you hear a voice. You've already let me in. Give up. Relinquish control to me completely. Give yourself over to me. We are one. The scene begins again.
What will you do? It appears you are witnessing a loop of the memory of Timaeus giving in to Quintal for the first time. Can Maya interpose herself between the two of them? As Quintal's making his offer, can she... Like, are they tangible? Is she tangible? You're as tangible as the shadow. You're as tangible as the shadow that whispers. Will you try and change the memory? Yes. Maya is going to push herself in between the shadow and Timaeus, rest her hand on his forehead and say, It's okay. Help is here now. You're going to be just fine. Okay, this is a crazy idea. <laughs> maybe it won't work. And maybe I should save this for later. But I am going to try to cast Cure Wounds on this image of Timaeus. Give me a charisma check. Just a straight d20 plus your charisma modifier. This check is to interpose your will upon Timaeus's memory and to change it. If you succeed, you'll expend your spell slot and it will activate. If you fail, you will not expend your spell slot. Well, that's a relief because I rolled a nat one. As you interpose yourself, you feel the shadow just reach around you. It's almost as if it doesn't even realize you're there, ignoring you. And you realize that you might need to steal yourself. You might need to try and break through to Timaeus. Mm. To force your will on this memory. Right, okay. To break the cycle. Okay. And with that, we withdraw from the Prison of Souls. Newly transformed and covered with blood, the shark creature that was once Timaeus, currently possessed by Quintil, is going to rush towards you, Kalina. It is going to plant one claw onto the dais, the altar in front of it, and then bound towards you, raking its claws at you. And as it does, Quintil's voice echoes throughout the chamber. Your flesh will sate my master's appetite, and your blood will quench his thirst. But your screams, your screams shall kindle the fires of his heart. Does a 17 hit you? Yes. You will take 14 slashing damage as he rakes his claws down upon you. Yep, that hurt. Marcus, it's your turn. You see the newly transformed Quintal has jumped down onto Kalina, ripping across her back. In her arms, she holds Maya, and she sort of falls forward maybe a bit, caught off guard. At the same time, there's a really freaky... Alice is familiar, that sort of snake thing? It's around her neck. Marcus will go ahead and... He's going to feel the new magical energy. He's going to stick his hand out. He's going to pretend that he's drawing an arrow and pulling it back. Magical energy that likens itself to marsh grass and river reeds. He's going to cast Eldritch Blast. 
does a 21 hit. Most assuredly. Ooh. I don't even know what a D10 looks like. Hold on a second. (laughs) (laughs) So as you bring your left hand forward as if gripping an unseen bow, and you draw your right hand back, mimicking knocking an unseen arrow, turquoise and green light is going to flare in your hands. And it will etch an ethereal, archaic longbow from which this arrow is going to stream. It's going to be seven points of damage. Seven points of very swampy force damage is going to slam into this creature, catching it on the side, and its gaze is going to flick up to you, recognizing the taste of magic. Come on, you mother-loving shark person, come get me! As you wisely or perhaps unwisely goad the shark creature, Alice, it's your turn. I'm going to try to entangle it again. (laughs) Can I get lucky again? So strength saving throw? Correct. So I rolled an 18. Oh, I'm not even going to add its bonus. (laughs) No. No, you don't need to. Uh, It did not work. Do I need to make that same roll? Probably should have arranged this first. Are you arranging the corner of your entangle cube to be the creature? Or is the entangle centered on the creature? I'm going to put it right on the border. You realize that your companion will get trapped by your entangle otherwise. And so you place it on the border. Careful to ensure that it does not catch Maya, Kalina, or your familiar, or Marcus for that matter. Are you going to do anything with your movement or your bonus action? I am going to, since Kalina's coming towards me, I'm going to maintain distance away from Kalina, seeing that this thing is following it. So I'm going to be moving backwards as much as I can. And then for my bonus action, I'd like to use my minor illusion to make the sound of Quintal's mother's voice, which I heard in my flashback. So I know what it sounds like. We're so disappointed in you. Coming from the ominous direction. As these voices, a male and female voice, begin to echo in the air, we're so disappointed in you. You were never our favorite. We wish you were never born. Begin to echo in the air. This creature is going to roar and in agony, and the sound shakes the cavern around you, particles of dust falling from the ceiling above. And in the depths... A sound answers. From that crack in the floor, arranged in the symbol of Kugosa, two fleshy appendages, long tendrils composed of bloody flesh, sinew, and muscle, are going to writhe up. They thrash back and forth, scenting the air, before they will strike at the two individuals farthest from the creature. At this time, that would be Marcus and Alice. (laughs) No. 
I am the tank. Yeah, me too. Yeah. I mean, I'm in its face right now. <laughs> Is Sylvie not further away from it than Marcus? Because Kalina moved towards Alice on the opposite side of where... Right? Because wouldn't Marcus be in the middle between Sylvie and Kalina? That's very true. Yeah, it's these appendages are going to race across the floor. It's not going to go after the tank after all. It's going to go after the possibly two... Some of the squishiest. Seething towards Alice and Sylvie. Which one of you would like to be attacked first? Well, it sounds like I'm volunteering. I'll just go first. That's fine. Does a 22 hit? Oh, well, gee, yeah, 22 does hit. You will take six piercing damage. And can you give me a DC 13 constitution saving throw? Don't forget that D4. Don't worry, I did not intend to. All right, well, I got a 17 before the d4, so... You will take six piercing damage as this grabs onto you. You feel your leg almost start to go a bit numb, but it's not potent enough, whatever this is, coming off of this creature, off this appendage. And this appendage is going to grab your leg and yank you forward, and it's going to pull you ten feet closer. Closer to the hole in the ground or to the creature? To the hole in the ground. Right, that sounds really exciting. So you are now ten feet from the hole in the ground. Alice. Yes. Does a 15 hit you? It does hit me. (laughs) It does. You will take six piercing damage. And can you please give me a DC 13 constitution saving throw? I rolled a 13. <laughs> That's my third 13. You are successful. That is three 13s in a row. You told me. You'll see what comes up. You'll see something's going to happen. Yes. And you will be pulled 10 feet down the steps of this amphitheater. As you're dragged down it. It sounds like what you would imagine, like a light bulb, like hitting a step. Because <laughs> you said that you moved along the top and a little bit down so that you were sort of opposite to where Sylvie is. This was before Sylvie moved forward another 15 feet. So you are now approximately 10 feet from Kalina and which means you're about 20 feet from the hole these things are dragging you towards. But the tentacle releases your leg. Its mouth opening wide, showing that its mouth is in the shape of Kagosa's symbol. And its teeth click and clack. Sylvie, it's your turn. Did it also let go of my leg? Or am I still... It has definitely let go of your leg. It just dragged you forward. How far from the hole in the ground? Ten feet? You're ten feet from the hole in the ground. And there's this fleshy appendage in front of you. I don't know. There's so many things. All right. She's going to start talking at the shark creature that is Quintal Antimaeus and say, Timaeus, I know this is really hard. You've been fighting for so long, but please just keep fighting. I know you can do it. You're so kind. You have a good heart. You've helped all of us so much. And he's weak. I know he acts strong, but without his master, he's nothing. He doesn't have any power of his own. You can beat him. We can beat him. 
and then she is going to pray to Ashen and hope for the best. O oh, sickle and shear, the one who prunes all life, may my enemy feel the edge of your blade. Usher them to their grave as she looks at the shark creature. So she's casting Toll the Dead, which is a wisdom saving throw. Well, he rolled a nat 1 versus Ashen's Grace, which is appropriate for a ghost possessing a human and turning him into a shark monster hybrid. Fabulous. He has not taken any damage, right? He did. <gasps> Fabulous. An Eldritch Blast did hit him. Yes, we love to hear it. So he takes four damage, but you see sort of ethereal rose vines reach out and grab him. The roses bloom a really blood red and then burst into light and damage him. The creature stumbles back, howling, sort of trying to clutch and pull these rose vines from it. For where they touch its skin, it burns. And that's necrotic damage also. So then, I'm going to use a key point to take Flurry of Blows to try and hit this thing that just grabbed me. Just one question. For Flurry of Blows, does it require the attack action or just an attack? Because technically, a s casting, it's casting a spell. It's not making an attack. You're right. It's not an attack. Oh, you're right. It does have to. You have to take the attack action. So just kidding. I'm not going to do that. So then I'm just going to try and move away from it because I really don't want to be dragged into this hole in the ground. So I'm going to try and go towards Kalina and the shark creature and everybody else. As you do, it is going to try and snake out and strike you with a opportunity attack, but it will be unsuccessful as you dance out of the way. How close to Alice and Kalina are you going to go? Sylvie's going to go all the way up to, since it's right on, like, right next to Kalina, she's going to go try and defend her friends. Okay, so you can come up and you can flank it. All right, now I'm done. Kalina, it's your turn. The creature is at your back. It has just raked its claws across you. Yep. Yeah, that hurt a lot. How far from the crack am I? Like, am I standing right at it? And how wide are these cracks? The cracks are wide enough that someone could be dragged through them, but only if they were, say, normal human size. Am I close enough to, like, safely toss Maya's body across the crack I'm in front of or close to? Because you went off to the side, the cracks are more behind you and to the side. They're not in front of you anymore because you went off to one side in the direction. Do I have room to, like, set Maya's body down behind? Like, kind of like where I'm still in front of it? From Quintal. Right in front of you is probably the lowest rung of the amphitheater. You could toss Maya's body onto there. She is dead. But could I do it without damaging her body more? Are you going to take the time in the middle of combat just after you've been clawed to gently put a body down? Probably not. She's kind of bleeding at the moment, but she doesn't want to damage her body too much. Try and drop it as low as she can before turning to Quintal. Um, I would like to do that. And then she'll turn to Quintal and crack her neck. Uh, I'm going to use my bonus action to do second wind, because I'm hurt as crazy. So I'll recover 11 hit points. She'll turn to Quintal and draw the long sword and twirl the knife to where the blade is reversed and just be like, My turn. 
and she'll spin around and slash him with both weapons. 17 wouldn't hit, would it? Yep, that will hit. Four points of slashing damage. And then she'll stab with the dagger as the spin finishes. Okay, that's another 17. Eight points of piercing damage. Wow, the dagger hit harder than the sword that time. As you slice across its skin, you realize that your cuts are not going as deep as you would hope and expect, and you remember this creature's hide is very tough. You're hurting it, but you're whittling it away slowly. Just to make sure you did roll with advantage. If not, please roll to confirm if we get a crit. And that's even worse. Holy cow. Okay, yeah. And that's everything. Bolstered by the arrival of his master's aid, Quintil is going to roar. And then he is going to bring his claws up together, and he's going to bring them pounding down towards your head, Kalina. Can you please make a strength saving throw or take the full brunt of this attack? Come on, good roll when I need it. I'm good at these. Ooh, 25. That's a nat 20. You manage to hold out against the attack. Though it jars your muscles and abrades your skin, you will only take four slashing damage, and you will not be knocked prone. And Clayton will go, <laughs> Is that all you got? The familiar around Kalina's neck. Alice, what do you wish for it to do? I'm just going to leave it on Kalina for now. Moving back to the soul prism. Within... Timaeus's tortured mind. I can make this end. I can give you strength. Simply let me in. Maya, because of Sylvie's interaction with Timaeus, outside, you will have advantage on the role you make. Oh, I had a heartwarming story all prepared and everything. Do you want me to just roll for the... No, I want to hear that heartwarming story. So, as the shadow is saying this, Maya's going to say, No! And she's going to very carefully concentrate the way she would concentrate in the house when she was trying to turn herself from a ball of light into her more full form. And she's going to lean over him protectively and say, I know you feel terrible, Timaeus, but it's going to get better. I'll help you get better. Do you remember that time you escorted me from the furnace? I don't remember how long I'd been there. It felt like a long time, but it always felt like a long time. I was so weak, and I was so sick, and I couldn't stand. And I couldn't walk. And I remember the other guards would make me crawl back to the prison laughing as I struggled. As my hands and knees were scraped raw from dragging my way along back to the prison. Some of them would even beat me, trying to make me go faster. But not you, Timaeus. Never you. You always fought to remember who you were. To not let the warden crush you change you like she did so many of the other guards. You did not allow the warden to brutalize you, Timaeus. That day you escorted me from the prison, you pinned my arms behind my back. Under the guise of keeping me subdued, 
You supported me all the way back to my cell. And I will never forget your compassion and your kindness, Timaeus. I know you feel terrible now, as I felt terrible then. But I got better, and so will you, Timaeus. So will you. I promise you I will help you. You're not alone, Timaeus. I'm right here with you. Now I'm going to make my charisma check. And that is going to be a 21. And what action are you going to take? I am going to cast Cure Wounds. As you interpose yourself between the Shadow and Timaeus, telling him this story, willing him to heal, to have the strength to live, to not give in. A light wells up in your hands. You see it suffuse Timaeus's form, and as it does, a healthy look comes to him. As his skin glows, the shadow recedes back, drawing back into itself as pinpricks of light stab into it, shattering it. And with a howl, Quintal's visage forms before it breaks apart, but as it does, it says, So this is where you are. I'll devour you, too. But it is banished from this memory. Timaeus's breathing returns to normal. The light growing brighter. You are standing back at the railing. Behind you rises the well-appointed villa. Down the lane is the barn. And in the distance amongst the orchards is a clearing. What light do you go towards now? I think I will go to the villa next with the yellow light. You turn, stepping into the yellow light. And you're briefly blinded before the light diminishes as you are standing off to the side in a country kitchen. Earthen tones of browns, yellows, tans, and beige, accented with white, red, and blue, dominate the room before you. A long, tiled counter wraps around one edge of the room. At the end of it, a wood stove is inset into the wall. Various shelves with clay jars containing herbs line the back edge of the counter. Behind you is a doorway, a doorway filled with a hazy yellow light, likely the doorway you came through. The scene before you seems to come into sharp reality as a young boy. One you think looks considerably like Timaeus comes through the doorway into the room carrying a pail of water. He brings it over to a small sink, popping a stopper into it before he pours the pail into it. He sits quietly at the table as a woman in her early thirties with the same hair and eyes as Timaeus enters. She calmly talks to him, quietly praising him for his help, before asking him to go out on another errand. He runs out quickly, and comes back. He goes back and forth, continuing to complete an endless list of errands for his mother, all the while praised. He seems very happy to be helping his mother, a child who only wants to please. 
at the edge of your perception, you hear Quintal's voice. It can be like this forever. You can stay here, with her. Just be a good little boy and follow orders. Beyond the prison of Timaeus's memories, the creature, its roar still echoing. Amidst that echo, you see its mouth bristle, and Quintal's voice comes through it. Blood! More blood! Give me your flesh! Give me your bone! Give me everything! Quintal's voice echoes as he drives the creature forward, its horrific claws flashing out to slice at Kalina once more. An 18 will hit. Unfortunately. That will be nine slashing damage. Is this a melee attack? Yes, this is a melee weapon attack, so you can try and parry it. I would like to, because that's going to hurt otherwise. That'll reduce seven damage of it. Marcus, it's your turn. I am going to rush over to the creature, the evil thingy, and I am going to draw my rapier. Ooh, that means I have something to describe. Oh, please do, as I rush to my death. As you draw your rapier, a strange sensation runs through your body. It begins behind your eyes, a sort of pressure, as little pinpricks of light. They sort of float inside your mind. The rapier in your hand, as you draw it out, begins to rapidly rust, before it, the rust flakes from it in sheets. And as it does, the metal that was once steel is revealed to have transformed into a coppery, metallic substance, tinged turquoise with verdigris. Along its edge, 22 runes in an unknown looping language etch themselves onto the blade of this rapier. And I will strike true. I'll attempt to. Am I in the position to flank this creature, or am I just... Am I not? Unfortunately for you, Sylvie and Kalina are flanking it, so you'd be coming at it from a side that does not have someone flanking on the opposite. But please do remember that because you have companions within five feet of the enemy, you do get sneak attack if you hit. Oh, yes. I'm just going to read this real quick because I do believe a 19 is considered a critical hit. For you with Hexblade's curse currently active, yes, a 19 is considered a critical hit. Ooh. So that is sneak attack as well. A lot of, a lot of dice. That is going to be 22 points of piercing damage. You will strike into this creature, coming at it from the side, your blade flaring with light as you strike into it, and you will cut a slash, a gash across it. And it won't howl, but the sound, it starts to make the sound deep inside of it. I would like to use my bonus action to, can I pick up, is there a stone I could pick up? Let's say that Marcus has a habit of collecting some stones and has a couple on him. He probably has a sling, maybe. I I do love to just pick up the stones and just, when I'm really stressed, throw them at 
things. <laughs> so he's just going to take one of those stones from his trusty st- stone pouch and he's going to hold it in the palm of his hand and the water droplets, they as he lets go, <laughs> he's go- there's, the stone was jagged, but now it's smooth as though it comes from a smooth river. Ooh, magic. Alice, it is your turn. Hi, Cass. I have some questions. Ask away. So the grate that these tentacles are coming out of, how big is it? It is about 10 feet across in a circle, so it takes up four squares. And when the tentacles come out, do they also go back in? So currently the tentacles are out, and they travel, and they are traveling from the grate out. So there's one tentacle that is all across the floor up to you. And there's another tentacle all across the floor to where Sylvie was. Wonderful. In that case, Alice will reach out with his glass-like hand as a very wicked smile comes across his face. Something I don't think people are used to as he usually displays his anger in a very uh, forward way. This face almost looks like the way Baghilda would smile when she realized she could have some fun. So Alice's eyes fill with the liquid glass as he reaches out and he begins to lose control a little bit as the magic of the mirror deep within him begins to make its appearance. And slowly, in a 20-foot circle, encasing where these tentacles are coming out of the grate, I'm going to cast Spike Growth, which appears as very, very, very thin, long, jagged blades of glass that are only visible at a certain angle. And that's relevant because any creature moving within the space has to make a wisdom save to see if they can perceive it before moving. And in addition, anything that moves within the space takes 2d4 piercing damage for every 5 feet it travels. So since the tentacles are coming from the space, anytime you move them outwards or inwards, they will have to take 2d4 piercing damage for every 5 feet that you're moving them. I would like to move away more to almost encourage them to chase me. Because there is one within melee range of you, it will make an attack of opportunity against you. Okay. It rolled a 2. Yes. So even with its bonus, it won't get high enough to hit you, which would then possibly break your concentration, which would be terrible. (laughs) These maws are going to erratically slither. And as they do, as they're moving, as the one that was previously after Sylvie turns and begins to speed towards Marcus, it is going to take a considerable amount of damage. It is going to, because if I remember correct, these now count as difficult terrain. Yes. It will close with Marcus, which is 20 feet, which will be 8d4 piercing damage. This might take a minute. It just gets shredded to pieces. Did any of your d4s roll higher than a 1? All of them did. Okay, this maw, as it moves, is going to slice itself. It is going to basically eviscerate that end, and it's going to 
cut, and there's going to be this keening cry that comes up from beneath that crack-like grate in the floor. And then this other one is going to lash and move. And it's going to move... How far back did you move from it? Me? Yes. My full movement. It's going to try to attempt to follow you. So it will also take eight d4s. So long as you don't roll only ones, it will also die. It's dead. It's very dead. Both of these tendrils lash back and forth as they've been eviscerated, slashed to bits by this glass. This glass that is probably formed out of the algae being stretched and petrified, transformed in some manner. Sea glass. Sea glass. Beautiful sea glass. Whole new meaning to it. As these lash back and forth, and as that happens, this keening cry is going to come from beneath. And that keening cry is going to turn into this wail. And you'll see the creature clutches at its head. And as it does, there's this brief moment where you see this sort of like flare, and you see Quintil's spirit briefly seems to be pushed out by this light and then slams back into it. Perhaps whatever Maya is doing in there is helping you. Sylvie, it's your turn. You're on the other side from Kalina. Marcus is right nearby, and Alice is in the wings. Sylvie's gonna say, Timaeus, I know this is hard. Kindness is hard, but he feeds on fear and pain, and I don't know. I think we're all done being afraid, afraid of this big fish. So keep fighting. I know you can do it. And then she's going to take this special dagger that she found in this house and try and stab him in the back. It's probably not going to hit. Oh, but I have advantage. You have advantage, and remember, you also have Emboldening Bond, which is a d4. You're right. Well, I rolled the nat one that first time, so that d4 was not going to help. But I got a 16 this time, so 16 plus 6, I think, is the... So I assume that hits. 22? Yes, that will most assuredly hit. You will be able to drive this dagger into his back. Perfect. And normal dagger is 1d4 plus 4. Is that the same with this? Use the same stats for this dagger, just as some additional things attached. Great. That is six piercing damage. For the first time, a blade brought against it slices cleanly through this creature's skin. And it roars. And for a brief moment, you see on the back of this creature's head, Quintil's face form looking at you. And you can't tell if it's anger in his eyes or fear. We're not going to let you get away with this. And then I'm going to also use a key point to use Flurry of Blows. Yes, key points! Key points! Yes! We got lots of things to do. Alright, so then 18 plus 6 also. That will hit. Great. And then I'm also I'm going to use another key point because we love key points here. And I'm going to use Hand of Harm with that hit. So then it's going to get even more damage. So then that was seven necrotic damage and six bludgeoning damage. And then with the other unarmed strike from Flurry of Blows, she's going to do Hand of Healing on herself. Probably smart. Yeah, it feels that way. So then that is how much healing? Five points of healing. All right. Yep. And that's her turn. Kalina, it's your turn. 
how injured does this thing look right now? On a scale of not very to not very, not very. <laughs> okay. All right, she's just gonna take a couple slashes at the thing. Well, Yelly just like, huh, so much faith in your god. Okay. Oh yeah, and I have advantage. Well, I'm glad I have advantage, otherwise that would have been not good. Uh, that'll be a 23. That will hit. Oh, it's a good roll. 7, 8, 9, 10. So that'll be 10 points of slash damage from the longsword. And then stab with the dagger. Yeah, I think a 20 hits, right? Yep. 6 points of piercing damage. As you strike out with that barrage of attacks, first with your longsword and then with your dagger in your offhand, the creature is going to bristle. And it's going to spin, taking the momentum of its spin to smash at Sylvie. Sylvie, can you give me a strength saving throw? Well, I sure can. I got an 11, but I'm going to use my d4. So that's 13. As this creature is going to swing its claw, its claw is going to catch you. And the force behind it is a lot more than you expected, and it's going to hurl you back 10 feet, throwing you so that you crash against the steps of the amphitheater. And you are going to take six bludgeoning damage. You are knocked prone, and you are 10 feet away from the creature now. And what will a certain familiar be doing? Still staying on Kalina's neck. <laughs> He's being lazy. It will yawn, and as it yawns, it's just going to sort of, like, close its eyes and drape itself around Kalina. And, Kalina, you'll feel this sort of, like, warmth fill you from it. And very far in the back of your mind, you hear a voice. Well, well, well. You seem to be in quite a pickle, aren't you? Uh, who are you? Kalina will think. Oh, who am I? You don't need to worry about that. I'm a friend. A friend, you see. That's what the big monster said, too. Oh, he is most certainly not a friend. You see, I would prefer to not see him rise. And I do have a trustworthy history with one of your friends. Well? I give you a choice. I can offer you something. Something that will help you. But it will come with a cost. You have three options. At some point in the future, I could ask you for a favor. A small favor. You could, perhaps say, give me a sliver of your fate. Or how about... How about your senses for a time? Just one of them. And what will I get for this cost, lady? Make it quick. Well, 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 miss... Your name is Kalina, isn't it? Kalina will visibly shudder and, like, yes. 
The world around you has frozen for this brief moment. Your companions, their expressions locked in determination. But along the floor, a shadowy form hazily sways. Your own shadow, but not. It is extended out into a humanoid form unfamiliar to your own. Yet where your mouth and eyes would be upon this shadow, where there should be only darkness, there are gaps of light. Its mouth opens and closes. It moves as you hear the crone-like voice echo in your mind. I have two swords that might interest you. Go on. They belonged to your mother. How did you get them? Tut, tut, tut. You don't have much time left. Going once. Going twice. Yes. Yes. I'll take it. A favor. A favor it is. A favor it is. And this presence will recede. And as it does, you'll suddenly realize that you are not holding a longsword and a dagger anymore. You are holding Saren and Tayir. You're holding two blades you never thought you'd see again. Two blades that should be in Talren. You have your mother's short swords. Oh my god, why are we in the middle of a fight? <laughs> okay. Kalina doesn't believe her eyes for a second, then grips them. Like, do they feel real? Oh, most assuredly. She'll just kind of have a solemn smile, uh, adore the tassels that are hanging off of both of them, and then smirk and look at Quinzel and just be like, it's over now. Okay, so how do I put these in my inventory? Just a couple of long, short swords? For the purposes of this, they are two masterwork short swords. If they have powers or such, you'll, they will awaken later, perhaps. They do have a very important ancestral and historical tie to you. And for the purposes of these two short swords, have a plus one to attack, but not to damage. Okay. Crafted so perfectly and balanced so well by an unnamed smith. Sorry, fervently making notes, but Kalina's just kind of a little giddy at the moment. As the clash of blade and claw recedes into the darkness and solitude of Timaeus's mind, to the distant place where memories play in looping cycles, memories of horrific moments designed to break his spirit, juxtaposed with memories of beautiful moments. Ones that an individual could wish to be lost in forever. It is in one such memory we return to now. The kitchen in Timaeus's childhood home. It opens before you, Maya. A memory of Timaeus as a young child helping his mother with various errands. It plays over and over. A memory in which it seems... He would like to remain forever. As you take in the sights, in the distance, you hear a voice. Quintals. Where, oh, where could you have gone? Come out, little spirit. I will find you. 
The actions you take here are likely to draw Quintal's attention. This may be your only chance before he finds you. No pressure. Again, like last time, Maya's going to take a deep breath, concentrate on willing herself to be as real as she can in her ghostly form. And she's going to kneel down in front of the little child so that their eyes are kind of the same height. And she's going to say, Timaeus, this is not real. It seems nice, but you're trapped in a memory. He has trapped you. Or maybe I should say it. I don't think we can call him a man anymore. It has trapped you and is forcing you to do terrible things. I know this seems nice, but you can't stay here. Timaeus, I have never known you to turn away from a hard reality. Things in the prison were tough. Worse than things in the colony. But you never turned away from that. You saw how awful everything was, and you, with your strength and your compassion, you, Timaeus, did what you could to help those who deserved your protection. Do you remember when Sylvie found that injured bird that had fallen into the prison? She nursed it back to health in her cell, and you snuck her food and water for it. And when it was well again, you, Timaeus, you smuggled it out of the prison and released it for her. Timaeus, you have such a kind heart. You've always used what power you had to shield those who needed it, to help those who needed you, Timaeus. And we still need your protection, Timaeus. Quintal is hurting and killing people. He is using you to do his evil work. He's hurting Sylvie, and Marcus, and Kalina, and Alice. He is using you, Timaeus. He is using you to try to kill them. Don't, don't let him do this, Timaeus. You are strong. I know that you will help us. This look of confusion comes over the child's face. She looks up at you realizing there's someone else in this memory, someone that shouldn't be there. And for a brief moment, you think that he maybe even recognizes you. Please roll a charisma check, and you can have advantage. So stressed. <sighs> 17. One of my rolls was a two. This look of recognition comes into his eyes, and he goes, Maya? Timaeus, it, yes, it's me. And for this brief moment, you see the child, and you see the grown man, juxtaposed in the same space, overlapping each other in this memory. And around you, it begins to break. And as it does, you see the face of his mother blur into darkness. And as it does, two red eyes form there. 
glowing pinpricks. Evil. As Quintal's face comes out of hers. So this is where you are. Timaeus looks terrified and shocked. Maya would move herself between Timaeus and Quintal, and she's going to stare Quintal right in his glowing red eyes and say, We will show you no mercy. You have no power. Please give me a wisdom saving throw. Oh dear, oh dear. It's not terrible. It's not terrible. Oh, it's really not terrible. That's a... that's a 22. You feel the darkness that is Quintal reaching out, shadows etching across this memory as it begins to break down. As it begins to move towards, and you see Shadow almost begin to climb up Timaeus's form as well. But as it comes towards you, as it attempts to take you, you flare brightly, briefly for a moment, pushing that darkness back. The Timaeus that you have here seems to be cognizant. Can I reach out to try to hold his hand? The sky's the limits for what you can do. Trying still to keep myself sort of between him and Quintal, I will grab his hand and say, You're not alone, Timaeus. We're all here with you. Sylvie and Alice and Kalina and Marcus, we're all here with you. You're not alone. You can beat him. And with you interposed between Quintal and Timaeus in this memory will return to your friends. Good luck, guys. Returning with a vengeance to the realm of the present, where Kalina, Sylvie, Marcus, and Alice fight for their very lives against Quintal's overwhelming might. To paint a picture of the scene your characters struggle within, Kalina, you stand directly before the creature, at the base of the amphitheater steps. Twin swords from your past, only recently manifested by a deal with an unseen force in hand. Maya's cold, lifeless body lies upon the steps of the amphitheater, protected behind you. Marcus, you stand to the left side of Kalina, your rapier, newly transformed by the strange power of the woman who haunts your dreams, one who charges you to follow the runes and seek her ancient blade. Sylvie, a slight correction. I said the blow sent you flying into the steps of the amphitheater, but based off the geography, that's physically impossible. Because I'd forgotten what side of the creature you were actually on and who was in your way and where you would have landed then. You actually have been flung ten feet back from where you were standing behind the creature. As such, you've been flung to the steps of the dais and the blood-encrusted altar that rises from them. Alice, you stand 25 feet away from the combat, your concentration focused upon keeping the glassy spiked growth over the cracks in the ground from which the maws of Kugosa have emerged. 
Severely hurt by the attack from Sylvie and the dagger she bears, the creature snarls with a thousand clicking teeth. It slashes its claws out, entering into a state of insatiable frenzy. Kalina and Marcus, its claws bear down upon both of you. Kalina, that is a 19 to hit. Marcus, that is a 16 to hit. Oh, it definitely hit Kalina. Oh, yeah, it barely hit me. Kalina, you'll take 5 slashing damage. And Marcus, you'll take 14 slashing damage. I would like to try and parry that if that's a melee attack. Yes, it most assuredly is. Okay, yeah, I got 7 to prevent damage on that. You will present all damage from it then. So I have 5 temporary hit points. So you said 14? Mm-hmm. So you'll take 9? I will take 9, and the creature takes 5 acid damage. Ooh. As its claws slash across you, this aqueous substance that has formed your armor will burn into the creature's skin. It barely seems to notice, but you see that it has actually stripped away the flesh there. It seems insensate. It seems that it is beyond pain at this time. Marcus, it's your turn. Marcus is gonna go, oh, that, that hurt! Could I try something? I'm not sure if this is gonna be allowed, but please, just humor me. So I have the magic stone, right? Yes. How far is Alice from me right now? Alice is 25 feet from you. So what I would like to do is, this has no damage die or anything attached to it. Would you like to toss the stone to him? So I basically want to dive a dagger into the creature, and then I would like to call out to Alice to say, hit the dagger with the rock and see what that does. I don't know if it's going to do anything. Interesting idea. To handle this, we're going to have you make a ranged attack. So you're going to throw it at Alice. If you meet his AC or beat it, then you'll be able to throw it lightly into his hand. If you don't hit his AC, then it will land nearby. A 14. What's Alice's AC? 13. Just makes it. What do you say to Alice as this stone sails through the air? You're probably yelling this to him as you drive the dagger towards the beast. Marcus will just shout, Hit the dagger with this magic stone thing. Let's see if this works. I have no idea. And now, make your attack for driving the dagger into this creature. Does a 17 hit? Yes, a 17 hits. That's sneak attack too, yeah? Oh, most assuredly, you got Kalina right there next to you. That is a total 14 points of piercing damage. This creature, as you drive it in, you don't drive it in as deep as you'd expect it to, but you're hoping that if this rock hits it properly, that this will be lodged into the creature. Perhaps, if you could get your hands onto the dagger Sylvie used, it might even be more effective. Alice, it's your turn. Alice will catch the... Magic stone. Whoa, cool. As the stone falls into your hand, it feels soft. The stone almost seems to like ripple 
as if it were actually a sort of like gelatinous container for water. I've never experienced a jelly rock before. And I will toss that sucker at the dagger. What is the policy for magic stone throwing them? You or someone else can make a ranged spell attack with one of the pebbles by throwing it or hurling it with a sling. If someone else attacks with the pebble, the attacker adds, you'll use Marcus's spellcasting ability modifier, not your own. So you have a plus four to hit. That will be a 12. You have matched the creature's AC. Oh. Let's go. Write that down this time. <laughs> Big bulky shark. Really itty bitty AC. Lots of hit points. And that will be 10 damage to the dagger. As I guess. Is it to the dagger or is it to the creature? You'll see in a moment. Okay, all right, all right. So how does this feel as you hurl the stone? Knowing that it's going to hit, what does Alice do? Alice is waiting for the moment that this stone turns into an animal like the ones they hurled earlier. And he's so excited for it as he flicks it out of his hand as if he's skipping a rock. And you know, he puts that imbued feeling into it you know, waiting for it to turn into an animal. And when it hits the dagger, he's a little disappointed, but happy that his aim was true. What kind of animal was Alice hoping for? Stag, I'm waiting for the antlers to hit. So I'm excited for that. As this pebble flies through the air, you can almost see as the wind, not the wind, but as like the air pressure pulls across it that it undulates slightly, becoming amorphous and malleable, shaping into an almost fine arrow-like point as it strikes onto the dagger. And as it does, there's this sort of a cracking sound followed by a splash, and mud splashes up across the creature, splaying out from where the dagger is like ants across it as if it had suddenly been given a muddy tattoo of antlers but a spray of blood shoots out of where this dagger has been embedded and pushed deeper into the creature and it is about to be pissed piss at me can I use my bonus action I'm just going to hurl more insults from uh, Quintel's parents uh, about how he was worthless. Uh, with minor illusion. Yeah. I want to hear a zinger. What's like the worst <laughs> that Alice can come up with? Ooh, the worst? You act like you were trapped in a box for 800 years like an idiot. As that insult echoes out and around the creature, you see it crouch down. And Marcus and Kalina, you both can use your reactions to make attacks of opportunity against it now, as it is about to leave your threat range. Alright, I got a uh, 14. That will hit. That'll be a uh, 4 piercing damage, as Kalina will like just swipe out at it. That is a 19 again. 
which is a critical for you. Critical hit. Yes. I don't get sneak attack, though, on this one, yeah? No, sneak attack is once per turn. And this is not your turn. It's someone else's. Ooh, let's go. That is going to be 24 points of damage because of the plus two. Ooh, that's a good uh, reaction attack. This creature, it basically crouches down and you see the muscles and tendons on its legs bulge as it pushes off of the ground. You barely get your strikes out as it shoots up, briefly grabbing onto the ceiling, fixing its gaze towards Alice, and jumping towards him. Alice, please make a strength saving throw as this creature is barreling down upon you. If you succeed on this strength saving throw, you will avoid the full brunt of this attack. Should you fail, you will be at its mercy. Strength. (laughs) Fifteen? You manage just to barely to shift out of the way as it comes crashing down on top of you, striking out. You will only take four slashing damage. Alice is looking very hurt. This does mean you need to make a concentration check. Does, doesn't it? Oh no. A 13? I don't, I don't, I forget how concentration works. You only needed to make a DC 10 concentration check, which is based off constitution, for this level of damage. The concentration check only goes up when the damage exceeds 20. I maintain concentration. You maintain concentration on your spiked growth, which will be important. Sylvie, it's your turn. Can you give me a free perception check? Sure. Well, not great. That was a natural one. So, I got a four. As you look about, you realize that you have dropped the dagger of petrified wood. It is scattered somewhere up here behind you. Shoot. All right. I'm going to use half my movement speed to get up. The creature has removed itself from where it was and has now landed on Alice. How far away is it from me? Unfortunately, the creature is at this moment in time 35 feet from you. All right. So he's going to yell out, I lost the dagger. I don't know where it's at. I'm really sorry. As she runs towards the creature... After she says that, she's going to start talking to Timaeus and say, I know that this is really hard and that you're probably really tired, but we're going to get through this. We're going to beat this stupid fish and we're all going to make it out of here just fine. You just have to keep fighting with us. And all right, all right, I hope this works. And she's going to mutter a prayer to Ashen because she can't get close enough to hit it. (laughs) So once again, she'll say, Oh, sickle and shear, the one who prunes all life. May my enemies feel the edge of your blade. Usher them to their grave. Cast hold the dead. So apparently every time you cast this, it rolls a one? (laughs) Great, well, we love that. And it's taken damage, so that's a necrotic damage, as you see these ethereal roses burst into light around him. And then I'm going to use a key point to bonus action dash all the way up to him. Because I really don't want him to kill Alice. Are you coming up behind the creature or on one of the sides so that you're closer to Alice? I want to put myself between him and Alice, so like on the same, like next to Alice. You can be right next to Alice. You're on, I would say, one of the corner squares if we were to imagine the eight squares that are around this creature. 
Yes, I had to just count that out while pointing at things in my head. You're on one of the corner squares, where Alice is on one of the cardinal direction squares. Kalina, it's your turn. You're 25 feet. The creature has bounded, it shot up, and then pushed itself off the ceiling. If you're looking up where it was at the ceiling, you can see the ceiling's been impacted, and there are cracks that are running across the ceiling. Alice, did you make any kind of sound when that creature came down barreling on you? Yeah, it was something like, ah! Alice has made a possibly the sound of a death rattle behind you, and Sylvie has ran in his direction. But Sylvie also said she's dropped the dagger. Okay, so quick question. Can I see the spiked field that Alice put up, and is it in my way for a straight line towards Alice? It is actually to the left of your party and the left of where Marcus is. It is not in the middle of this fight area. Your fight area was off to the right-hand side of the amphitheater, and the spikes are right in the center over top of the symbol of Kugosa. Okay, cool. Kalina will kind of grumble, just like, fucking coward, and will try to make her way to right behind Alice. I kind of want to get either behind Alice, if I have enough movement to get there, or get beside him and have five foot of movement left either way. So I'd have to get beside him, wouldn't I, if I wanted to do what I want to do. So in 25 feet, you could get behind Alice. I want to do that, and then I'll grab Alice and be like, you don't belong in the front lines, and shove him behind with bait and switch so bait and switch allows Kalina to spend five foot of movement on my turn and spend a superiority dice to switch places with that with a with that creature uh, as long as the creature is not incapacitated and is willing sorry so i'll have to make sure uh, alice is willing when he feels Kalina kind of grab the back of his shoulder and what that will it doesn't provoke opportunity attacks if i move the character uh and then i can roll a superiority dice and that role can be added to either AC to my AC or the person I swatch places with. And in this instance, it will go to Alice. Alice, will you allow Kalina to move you? Yes, Alice is willing. And unfortunately, she's not able to be as gentle as you, so it's kind of a forceful grab. <laughs> she's trying to get you out of the way. You'll get four AC until the start of my next turn, as she also puts herself in front of you between the monster. Awesome. Thanks, Kalina. And then she'll glare up at Quintel. She'll be like, where do you think you're going? As she readies her uh, both of her short swords. The way she holds them, for anyone listening, is one's always reverse gripped, and the other one is kind of just kind of in front of her. So one is kind of always at her back, and the other one's kind of in front of her to be used as either a deflecting blow or a straight attack. For the listeners, can you describe what the blades look like? So if anyone knows what a Roman gladius looks like, the blade is of in that style. The hilts are a little elongated to go in kind of more traditional sheaths instead of like a scabbard sheath. So they kind of have like T-tips. The handles are wrapped in leather. And on one of the swords, there's a short red ribbon dangling off of it. And on the other sword is uh, a dark blue ribbon. For more for the listeners and the players, uh, the reason those are there is... One sword was her mother's, which is the one with the red ribbon. Red was her mother's color, so that's why she uses that. And the other one was her older brother's Tyrol. Both of them died in Amarath, and his colors were blue. So that's why she has those ribbons on them. It's also why she's got a fascination with ribbons. The creature, from its perspective, Sylvie comes barreling out of one side, a prayer to Ashen on her lips, those same ethereal vines those rose bushes 
with thorns that prick and burn, crawl across it, distracting it as suddenly Kalina comes up from behind, yanking Alice probably by the back of his cloak and pushing him behind her as he as she brandishes her blades. And this creature is insensate. It is so angry. And it is going to lash out at both Kalina and Sylvie. Kalina does a 15 hit you. And Sylvie does a 20 hit you. Yeah, 20 hits. <laughs> yeah, 15 just hits went AC. Kalina, you will take 14 slashing damage. I'm going to use my last superiority dice to try and prevent some of that. That's a little more than I would like to take. And Sylvie, you'll take eight slashing damage. So I will prevent nine of that. You will take five slashing damage. As it rakes its claws across you. And with that, it lets out this massive roar. And those cracks on the ceiling are going to start to get slightly bigger as little bits of dust and particles fall from the ceiling as it roars out. Alice, what's your familiar up to? Well, my familiar will clearly reach inside of it, the depths of its soul, and call back Hilda to heal them all full hit points immediately. Oh, can we do that now? <laughs> oh. Okay, alright, he just sleeps. He'll continue to sleep on Kalina's neck. I have a feeling that Kalina's gonna actually get into death saving throws and then the familiar's gonna do something. Oh no, my my bed is dying. <laughs> Maybe opens an eye, makes sure that no blood got on him or it. No blood got on it. Maybe looks at its nails briefly, and then goes back to sleep. Moving into the realm of memories and souls, of spirits and ghosts, back into the prison of Timaeus's own soul and mind. The kitchen scene that had once been a beautiful memory is now a twisted mockery. Windows that go out into pure pitch darkness. A fell wind floorboards that creak and break and an image an outline a caricature of his mother but bearing Quintel's face etched in darkness and malice you Maya stand between Timaeus and Quintel Quintel is powerful he is very powerful. You can feel it palpable here. But you have a cognizant, at least a fragment of Timaeus behind you. You aren't sure if you can fix this memory, but you might be able to steal Timaeus from here. Mm. Perhaps you could seek another memory to hide in. At least to buy yourself more time. Maya's gonna give Timaeus's hand a reassuring squeeze, and she's gonna start talking to Quintel, and as she speaks, she's going to slowly be shuffling 
herself and Timaeus towards the door, trying to keep Timaeus behind her. Give me a stealth check. Oh, no. I'm a ghost. I'm super floaty and quiet. Right? Yes? Uh, it's a 15. You will edge closer and closer to the door as Quintal begins to speak about how this is the end. Yeah, you made a terrible mistake coming into his own playground. The Timaeus is his, and that he will not let... And there's a flash of light as you push Timaeus against the light... And because you're holding on to him and he's holding on to you, you are yanked out of this memory. Oh, so much for my grand speech that I had prepared to distract him. You could go back into the villa, to the yellow light that's coming out of it. <laughs> but wait, Quintal, there's one more thing I wanted to say before I disappear. <laughs> okay, never mind, never mind. The yellow light that's coming, that was coming from there is now a black radiance, and the entire villa has become a ruined shell. The sky has begun to cloud over, over this whole expanse. And as you are here, you have a choice to head towards the barn and the gray light, or to run for the orchard and the clearing there with the green light. But as you make whatever choice you plan to make, you hear Quintal's voice. You can't run from me. I will find you. This is my world now. Maya's going to keep her grip on Timaeus's hand and say, It's okay. We're going to do this together. And she's going to head towards the barn. As you near the barn, Timaeus almost starts to try and pull back from you. He looks afraid of whatever memory you're going to go into. It's okay. I'm right here with you. This is the only way to defeat him, and then you'll be free. It's okay, Timaeus. Fear in his eyes. He looks at you. I don't want to hurt anyone ever again. And your hand touches the light. The light flares. And as it dies away, you're not standing in the barn that you entered. Instead, you appear to be standing in a barn that reeks of death. Around you, on the straw, you see individuals laying on makeshift pallets as medics quickly triage them. While most of the scene is vague, one corner of the barn is in sharp contrast. A young man with curly black hair green eyes and olive skin lays on a makeshift pallet, his gut heavily bandaged and bloody. Timaeus sits nearby, clutching his hand. Please, hold on. Hold on, Heron. We always said we'd go back home. You said you'd marry Lucilia. Please, hold on. You see the young man's mouth twitch into a bit of a smile. Before blood splatters up 
and he gurgles out his last breath. The Timaeus that sits in this dream, this nightmare, shakes and sobs, holding the hand of one he would call brother. Suddenly, Heron gasps, and the scene begins again. Timaeus forced to live through the death over and over again. How close are Timaeus and I to Timaeus and Heron? The most distinct part of the dream is that corner. Everything else is sort of hazy, faceless individuals. For you, distance isn't really a factor. So what I want to do is I want to cast Calm Emotions on both Timaeus's. So Maya's going to give Timaeus's hand another squeeze and say, It's okay. I know this hurts, but it's in the past, and you're very strong. I'm going to help you. And then she casts Calm Emotions, and... Each humanoid in a 20-foot radius sphere centered on a point that I choose within range must make a charisma saving throw, and a creature can choose to fail the saving throw if it wishes. Okay, so first I'm going to need you to give me a charisma check. Oh no. As you're trying to force your will into this memory and dreamscape. But because you have Timaeus, at least one of him, and he is very willing with you, I'm going to give you advantage on this. It's a 14. You will barely pass. Oh, thank goodness. Oh, oh my gosh. This is so stressful. But in a good way. In a good way. You are successful. So, what is your spell save DC for this other version of Timaeus. My spell save DC is 14. He rolled a 4. What does your magic look like? How does it take effect here? It doesn't have to be bound by how it normally would look for a prayer from Cain. But what is it like for you? How do you think this changes the scene around you? Oh, how it changes the scene? You're calming the emotions of a memory that is painful. You're not just calming the person. You're calming their perception of this memory. Maya glows with the golden light that is normally associated with, say, her healing spells. And it brightens the room with that sort of, like, I don't know, late afternoon fall sunlight kind of a glow. And the friend who is dying doesn't look or sound distressed. He looks content, like it's okay. It's his, it's his time, his name is in the lady's book, and he sees Ashen, this, this friend waiting to welcome him after, you know, his life is finished. And the... Timaeus, who is sitting and watching, looks 
maybe resign because I think that's realistic, but he looks more at peace with the cycle of life. Maybe, you know, patting his friend's hand gently and just being there for him, being reassuring about moving on to this next stage of existence, but not being wrapped up in the grief of losing the friend. As this begins to take effect within this memory, you see that the Timaeus that is there, he also begins to glow a bit. And the feelings of darkness and oppression that were falling, blanketing over this memory, become ones of peace and acceptance. As it does, there is this flare, and as the light flares, you briefly see one of the medics become black and begin to take Quintal's form, having found you again. And as the light flares, clearly pulling you to a new location, to another memory, you see Quintal's face, and you hear these words. I'll be waiting for you. <laughs> okay. And as this light flares around you, we'll move back to the world of the living. Returning to the realm of the living. Returning to the present the creature, it stands before you. Before Sylvie and Kalina. Behind Kalina. Crouches or stands Alice, just barely pulled out of the way before the last hail of blows came down. And as it stands like this, and as it... Roars. Alice... Two more tendrils are going to come shooting up into your spiked growth, driving towards you guys. Oh, are they? Yes. And their movement speed is 40 from the hole, which means that it's difficult terrain, so they can move at most 20. Each of them will take 8d4. So one of them takes 19 piercing damage. That one will slice itself apart as it comes streaming out blood just geysering and flying as it probably breaks apart into three pieces Marcus you see it dive past you heading towards the creature to help the creature as it just gets cut apart coming out of that hole and the second one also 19 but with completely different completely different roll numbers <laughs> The same will happen to this one. Marcus, can you give me just a flat d20 to see if any blood goes spraying onto you? Ew. Can we just say no? The seven. Blood splatters across one of your pant legs. Oh, man. It is icky. I just got these cleaned. And it stinks. It stinks? Yes, it stinks like rot and filth. <laughs> and it is your turn. Well. <laughs> But I, I hate shark people. Okay. There's probably a portion of this tendril, this maw, that is just twitching next to you. The shark creature is now 25 feet from you. It is up in the amphitheater. Sylvia's on one side of it. If Sylvie was at south, Kalina is at west, and Alice is behind Kalina. 
one thing to remember is that Sylvie did say that she lost the dagger. Can I, like, look to see if I can find the dagger? Like, if she dropped it? Give me a perception check. Do you want to do this from where you're standing, or do you want to get closer to where she was flung? Well, what if I tell you the the role, and then, and then I can know if I have to do that or not? Dependent on if you're getting closer or you're staying where you are changes the DC. Well, I'm just going to look where I'm at. So 21. You don't see the dagger by itself. You see the dagger and you see the knife that Quintal was using at the very beginning of this fight. Both of them have fallen just on the other side of the dais up there. Just up a few of the steps. They're probably about 15 feet from you. Both daggers. Or dagger and a shark tooth blade of some kind. If I pick up that dagger, I think bad things happen. But I want to so bad. I could use a bonus action to dash. Is that correct? But can I attack after that? I'm just a little confused. So you have your movement, remember. And then you can use your bonus action to dash. And that still leaves your action free. I always get that rule confused with the the rogue thingy. Okay, I'm going to run towards those daggers. I'm going to pick both of them up. Are you going to pick up those two daggers and then charge up at that creature and drive a blade into its back? Can I just, like, straight 300 it? Can I just jump in the air, like, with my arms backwards with the daggers and try to yank both of them into the creature? I absolutely adore this idea, but technically you only have one attack. So can you please pick which dagger you're going to drive into this creature's back? Oh, no pressure. Hopefully I pick the right one. Well, I'm gonna, I'm gonna trust old man Longstep. That never will bite me in the booty. I'm gonna use the wooden dagger, and I'm going to try to sink the blade into the creature. Roll away. Does a 17 hit? Yes, 17 hits. 14 points of damage. My one question for you is, are you going to leave this dagger in the creature? Or is this coming down as like a cut and you're drawing it down across the creature and then flicking it back out so that you have it in your hand? Oh, let's do that. Let's just try to open this sucker up like a turkey. You jump and you bring this dagger down, slamming it into the top shoulder and riding that dagger down its back, slicing until you flick it out into your hand, and this creature howls in agony. You can see that you've cut through sinew and muscle and cartilage down to the bone, and this thing shrieks. This is not a roar. This is a shriek of agony and pain. Alice, it's your turn. You are behind Kalina. You have just seen Marcus jump attack this creature. If I move away, does that invoke an attack of opportunity? Nope. Awesome. Well, I will move away from the creature. If I'm going backwards at this point, where am I going? You are on the right-hand side of the amphitheater, so you're moving yourself towards the right-hand wall of the chamber. You have at most 10 feet behind you to, to play with. Okay, I will do that. Then I will reach out my hand where the light begins to refract through it, and I will throw a produced flame at the creature. 
Roll away. That is a 19. That will hit. And that will be five fire damage. You hurl your bolt of fire, and it is going to splash across the creature, searing and sizzling, and you smell fried fish. This is an unfriendly reminder that Kalina has a slight fear of this type of spell, so... Oh no. Well, Kalina, why don't you roll to see if you recoil in fear or freeze up? Can Kalina roll at advantage with the cat, because the cat provides some type of emotional support? Sure. Why not? Thank you, Alice. And remember, you still have Emboldening Bond. Okay, thank you for the advantage roll. That puts me to 22. Uh, The first one was a 10. As that fire splashes in front of you, you have flickering memories of traumatic periods of your past. Shadows darting between trees. Elven arrows flying. Bolts of fire. Ice, lightning streaking down from the sky. The very trees turning against people. The terrifying elven war that still is being raged in Talren along the southern border in the Oscaruli conflict. But you steal yourself because that's not the war you're fighting now. You're fighting a war for your friends. You're fighting a war for your own survival. And if you don't win this battle, none of you get out of this alive. As that fire splashes across the creature, as that dagger slices down its arm, this wail, this shriek, the creature is going to turn. It no longer has a use of that arm that Marcus attacked. That arm limply hangs at its side. It almost seems like that arm is trying to knit itself together, to heal itself, and it is going to try to bring a claw and just sub bash it down on Marcus's head. That's unfortunate, because that's a natural 20. Oh, no. Marcus, that is 23 points of slashing damage. Well, that's just enough. Marcus is down. This creature brings its claw down and smashes Marcus, and then it's going to pull him back up. It is holding him. And Sylvie, you get this brief moment of deja vu as you see its mouth bristles begin to open wide. It's going to try and swallow him. It's your turn. So long, farewell to you, my friends. Goodbye for now. I'm getting eaten. Okay, um, okay, this is not okay. Timaeus... I know you're in there. We are not going to lose another friend to this stupid fish. I need you to fight with us. You stopped him from killing me, and I would really appreciate it if you could stop him from eating Marcus. I know you're in there. I know you're strong. We can do this. I want to make him drop Marcus. Did Marcus drop the dagger? Yes, he did. Okay. It is clattered to the ground beneath him, where his body is being lifted up by the head. Okay, right. So can I pick up the dagger and try and attack the shark creature's arms to try and get him to drop Marcus? You weave moving around. Give me an acrobatics check 
as you tumble past the creature to grab the stagger. I'm going to use my d4 also. So that was not a great roll, so I got a 14. The rock is slippery here, and you almost feel like you're going to slip, but you quickly turn that into a tumble, rolling and grabbing the dagger and coming up. In front of you, the mouth is bristling open. That same stench. That feeling. And you feel where you were bitten burn. As it burns, it's not debilitating. You can push past this. You can push through it. You can grit your teeth. A 16 hits. Six slashing damage with the dagger. Piercing damage? I don't know. Are you going to follow this up with a flurry of blows or anything like that? I am. I'm going to use my last key point to fury of blows. I'm going to hit the creature with one fist, and I'm going to grab Marcus with the other hand and use hand of healing on him. An eight doesn't hit the creature. An eight will not hit the creature, but your hand of healing will work on Marcus. Five points of healing to Marcus, which is not great, but listen. Marcus, as this creature brought its clawed hand down on you, crushing you, and began to pick you up, holding your face... You blacked out. For a brief moment, you thought that you saw Miranda's face. You thought that you saw Juliana's face. You saw the faces of those you loved looking up at you. And then suddenly, every sensation returned as this creature let go and you collapsed, falling to the ground. You're prone right now in front of the creature. But you can see that it has, it's flailed its hand, its other arm back, a hole in its hand where the dagger was driven into it. Oh, that really <coughs> hurt, son of a... Oh, shit. Sylvie, do you have any other actions? Can I move so that I'm flanking the creature with Kalina, but otherwise no? At the moment, you actually are the one flanking the creature with Kalina now. Perfect. Then, nope, that's what I'm doing. Kalina, it's your turn. The creature's back is to you. Are there any points where the dagger cut that I can see from this angle? One arm is hanging limply at its side. The other arm is flailed up in the air, streaming blood. Okay, I think I'll just stay here then, since that would probably require me to move. And she'll just kind of... Take her swords, pull them both in like kind of the same direction, and kind of like sweep horizontally, slash with both weapons. Eleven would not hit, I don't think, right? An eleven will not hit. Remember, you do have your d4 that you can use. I'll use it for the next one. Sixteen with the uh, second sword. Your bonus action offhand attack will hit. And that'll be seven points of uh, piercing damage. This creature is flailing about. It is screaming and it has been hurt horribly and it is going to turn and it is going to disengage from you and it is going to charge towards the altar and you see it with its good claw basically flip the altar off 
breaking the stone as it scrambles and frantically tries to search for something. Likely the Charktooth Blade that Marcus has on his belt. But as it breaks the stone slab that was the altar, that stone slab is going to go tumbling down onto the spiked growth area and smash through the symbol of Kugosa, opening a much larger hole into the depths below. The spiked growth spell, as it is magical in nature, will still continue to overlay over this. It will quickly heal over with Alice's concentration. But as this creature looks around, it is going to make a perception check. It has advantage to this check because it is drawn towards the knife. And the highest it rolled was a seven. As it is insensate in rage and pain, you will be unable to locate the knife and realize that that shark tooth blade is not over here. Alice, do you have anything you'd like for your familiar to do? Well, I wish there was something I can do for Marcus, but I don't think so. So it will remain on Kalina. Into the soul. Into the depths of Timaeus's mind. To the last memory. Maya, you have no choice, truly, about where to go. Behind you, holding your hand, while you hold the hand only of one Timaeus, you strangely feel that there are three within him. Three that you have helped. The only direction you can go is into the green light, into the orchard, into this last memory of a good day. As this verdant light diminishes, you find yourself standing at the edge of a clearing in its center laid out a picnic. A teenage Timaeus sits by a similarly aged girl with tawny hair and eyes like the forest. The scene quickly plays before you as they talk of many subjects the girl throwing her head back and laughing at Timaeus's jokes. But there is a tightness behind their eyes. They talk of all things except the future. For Timaeus's future seems bleak. As the afternoon draws to a close, Timaeus holds the girl, her name revealed to be Olivia. She looks to him, Stay with me, Timaeus. We can run away together. You don't have to go. You don't have to be a soldier like your father wants you to be. And with sad eyes, all Timaeus can say is, I wish I could. Time seems to rewind, the sun moving once more to its zenith, and the happy scene begins to play out before your eyes once more. But darkness is already here. For the girl that this Timaeus holds, its shadow is that of a man.
Wasn't this day perfect? The shadow reaches out its hand, not towards the Timaeus that is within this memory, but towards the Timaeuses that you have behind you. You can live it again and again, never moving forward, never needing to see the horrors of war. You could be with Olivia. She loves you, you know. You could be with her forever. And Timaeus squeezes your hand. Man, I'm not sure whether I should try to turn my attention to the Timaeus on the picnic blanket, or... Oh, I have, I have a plan. Okay. Maya will squeeze Timaeus's hand back and say, Both of us have beautiful memories in our past. And sometimes it feels like it would be nice to go back, but to be stuck there never moving forward isn't right and as beautiful as these this memory is as my memories are good things have happened since this you can't leave all that behind and she's gonna start leading Timaeus over to the blanket and say you tell him how good your life is Tell him about all the people's lives that you've touched, about about the times that you interceded when you didn't have to, about the people that you've come to know in the colony whose lives you saved in prison. Tell him about all the good you've done. You are strong. You can do this. And... Um, then Maya is going to turn her attention to Quintal. Enough of this, Quintal. Enough. Your parents are dead, and you can't buy their favor with blood anymore. You've made yourself a villain. But a minor one. No one knows who you are. You haven't even achieved the fame of your master. There's nothing left for you here. Nothing. Perhaps your name is in the lady's book? I think your time is growing short. Go, allow yourself to pass. Now, allow Ashen to take you. He may can remake your soul, contributing parts of it to several others. And you will have another chance. Several chances, in fact. Chances to have different parents, to make something of yourself, chances to be loved. Wouldn't that be nice? To be loved? Go. Let yourself leave the world. Chances are nothing to me. I will have what I want. Oh, you know that's not true. You know how this started. Your desire to be loved by your parents you can have it for real not the fake love that your master bought for you but for real leave leave this world which has been nothing but torment and sorrow to you move on to something better 
you don't stand a chance against us. It's time for you to stop. And as Maya says stop, she is going to attempt to cast command. So we are going to treat this as a series of contested rules. Oh dear. Pitting both you and Quintel against each other. Oh no. Okay. Because this is the force of your spirit trying to override his. Trying to override and break what he is doing here. So as you begin to glow, he will begin to darken. Okay. Our first charisma check. That's a 19 from me. Quintal has gotten a 17. <sighs> Your light will begin to glow brighter, and his darkness will begin to diminish, but you will see him push anger etching into his face. It is going to be the best of two out of three. <laughs> Quintal has a 22. That is another 19. His darkness will begin to push over your light. It will begin to snuff your light out. This is your last chance. Maya's gonna say, Everybody wants to be loved. Everybody deserves to be loved. Give yourself a chance. Quintal, give yourself the chance that you never have. Leave this place of sorrow. Oh, no! I didn't want to tell you what I rolled. It's it's terrible. Did you roll a natural one? No. I rolled a three, so that's five. Quintal rolled a two. Ah! No! As you say these words, there your light flashes and flares out. As it does... You hear Timaeus' words as he speaks out, as he begins to talk to Quintal about everything that has happened, everything that he has done, the memories that have been used against him, the memories that he has enjoyed about the things that have happened. The words don't stick in your mind. They're not something that you remember. But you f feel that Timaeus doesn't hate Quintal. As much evil and bad that has been done, Timaeus pities him. And that pity, combined with your light, breaks him. You are standing back in the chamber. For those of you witnessing what is happening in front of you, there is this quaking as you see the creature's head flail back and forth on the dais, the broken altar in front of it. For a moment, the shark head writhes 
and twists in one direction, Quintal's spectral face appearing, shrieking out of it, while pulling out on the other side is Timaeus's face. As it begins to go back and forth, pulling and twisting, before there is a sudden explosive sound. A flare of crimson light and you see Timaeus in his human form wearing that cloak of sharkskin go clattering down to one side and an abhorrent specter a specter that no longer looks like Quintal but looks like a hybrid between the creature and Quintal itself with claws and horrific appearance a malformed child of a soul twisted splays off onto one side and you see it begin to pull itself up but as it does there is a flare and you see the ball of light that is Maya expand Quintal is going to stand up from where he is and he looks out at all of you and in his ghostly voice echoing throughout this chamber, he will say, You call me a villain. You say I am minor. This was your mistake. I will find another medium like him. Master, I call to you. Master, I beg of you, feed. Marcus, it's your turn. The unconscious form of Timaeus lays on one side at the scattered steps below the dais. The illuminated form of Maya floats above it and a spectral quintal floats on the other side a monster in spirit and flesh okay well I'd like to spend half my movement to get up please and then I'm gonna take out the bone dagger and I don't know if we could just do this for flavoring purposes but could I maybe do some Reflavoring or reshaping of the dagger with uh, my uh, otherworldly powers, possibly. What are you attempting to achieve with this? I simply want to look really cool as I stab this mofo with his own weapon. That's all I want to do. So I think the first thing I should say is Quintal is probably about like 40, 45 feet from you. Good thing I'm going to bonus action dash at him before I can. While you won't be able to physically reshape the dagger, yes, you can charge some of your energy into it. You won't get the benefits of Hex Warrior or something like that. But flavorful? Yes, this can be full-on flavor. I just want to flavor this thing with a nice uh, Chianti, so to speak. So Marcus will kind of stammer up. He's still really feeling woozy from what happened currently or previously and he's just gonna take out the dagger 
with renewed, somewhat strange confidence, he'll put his hand on the dagger and he'll simply just utter Vestulian as he says those words, strange words that are given to him from somewhere. Moisture like little droplets form from his hand and as they go from his palm to the weapon it shifts and flakes of rust but comes forth with a bronze tint and strange runes mark the side and he's going to dash as a bonus action towards Quintal and he's going to try to thrust the dagger into the spirit of Quintal make your attack and roll damage ah! I rolled a one. Oh no! Oh! <laughs> it's okay. It's my life. I've rolled so good the past two sessions. This is my nightmare. As you charge towards him, as you drive this dagger towards him, at the last moment, he smiles. And you see his hand catch your wrist. And the other hand reaches down and pries the dagger from your hand. Thank you for listening to Roll With Adventure, where we bring you this story from our imagination to your ears. If you liked what you heard, Please subscribe for future episodes, rate us where you get your podcast, and visit us at www.rollwithadventure.com. If you'd like to contact us, you can write us at dm at rollwithadventure.com. Our intro and outro music is Brave by Arcane Anthems. Thanks for the components of this episode's soundscapes. Go to zapsplat.com, Purple Planet Music, and Arcane Anthems. Full credits are in the episode description. Roll off, roll off. Are we rolling off? Let them fight. There can only be one. I got an eight. I got a natural twenty. Oh, oh. I got. I rolled a two, and then the second, the the next roll was a natural twenty. So I got a natural twenty for this roll. You became a ghost in the machine. Yep. Oh, well, you're you're all chipmunks now, so... <laughs> this is my favorite continuous storyline of all of them. <laughs> the chipmunks up lot. You're a robot. No, you're a chipmunk. Cass, you turned into a robot. Cass, you are now the ghost in the machine. Yes, mm-hmm. Hang on, hang on, you're all chipmunks. I'm really sorry. I don't know why it started doing this. Ooh, we're haunted tonight. Really Halloween-y. Time's up. Let's do this. Leroy Jenkins. <laughs> we tried the stealthy approach. It did not work. It did not work. We tried to talk our way through it. It did not work. Soul Prison is obviously just Timaeus' new goth emo rock band that he's starting after all his issues. 
Yes. Yes. I'm going to that concert. It's pretty rad, honestly. His first song is A Sark a Shark Ate My Soul. <laughs> I'd like to dedicate this song to all the people. To Mace's voice. To all the moon people out there. That I murdered while I was possessed by the shark monster. We've we've never heard his voice for real, have we? <laughs> That's it, it's canon. No, maybe he does sound like that. If you guys can remember what his AC was from the first fight, it hasn't changed. Well, yeah, I sure don't, but maybe it's in my notes. It might be. Quick, listen to the podcast. Go. Everyone go to that episode immediately. But I'm happy to report you're not a squirrel. I'm happy to hear that I'm not a squirrel, but I could wild chip into one. Anyway. Ding, ding, ding. I knew you had this spell. You did? <laughs> oh, good. Good. It's why I prepped it with this area. <laughs> oh, awesome. Okay, I'm on the right track. I have to say, while Cass is gone, not because it's something that he can't hear, but just to fill the silence, I... Can you, like, fangirl over a thing that you're in, that you're doing in the moment? Because I love playing with you guys. This has been so great. I am a fangirl. Yes. I, like, just sit here the whole time and I'm just like, oh, it's amazing. We're great. <laughs> yes. This is, so, this is so much fun. I hate that. I'm so glad I get to gloat against this guy. He's been pain in our butt. <laughs> Everybody harass him now. Yes. Oh, I wanted to ask. So I wanted my next story. I want to tell uh, something about somebody like finding an injured bird at the prison and nursing it back to health and how Timaeus helps with that. And I'm not sure if like that's a Sylvie thing or it's an Alice thing. It's a Sylvie thing, I think. I mean, Sylvie would definitely do that. Yes, yeah, definitely Sylvie. Do you mind if I make up a story about that? Oh, absolutely go for it. Okay, perfect. Alice would probably use, like, the bird's bones for, like, some type of ceremonial purpose and encourage it into the afterlife because it's just how it works. So, yeah, I don't... Oh, my. Doesn't quite fit into what what I was going for. Living creatures are just tools. Sylvie grew up mending small creatures with her mom, so this is something she would do regularly. Oh, perfect. And Sylvie's given Alice some of that empathy, too, and also... That jerk in the woods who always steals, like, the animals, like, for food, too. <laughs> Our ingredients. Mm-hmm. You know, what do they say? Uh, a singular opposition is the greatest unifying factor for a group or something like that. So. I feel like I need to, like, find some magic class that fits with cleaning. Because I'm like, I feel so left out that everyone's got all these spells. Sorcerer. 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 Kalina learns to read becomes a wizard. <laughs> yes! <laughs> no. Five. No, I'm looking at the bite. Uh, oops, that's the wrong dice. So I'll write that down, it bites. Wow, did you know there's over 100 different subspecies of deer in the world? They live everywhere except for Antarctica. 
Did you know there's a species of deer with fangs? They're really cute. What? Oh, I gotta find that picture. Yeah, they've got, like, tusks. They're very cute. I don't remember what they're called, so. A musk deer. Oh, they're like adorable little vampires. They're so cute. (laughs) Oh, good lord. I'm full of facts. I'm so sorry. No, don't be sorry. That's fantastic. I'm amazed that there are deer that have fangs. Do they actually use them? I think they use them for something, but they they eat plants. They're not like vampires. <laughs> I think they might use them to root like through the ground for roots, or as like a mating thing, or both. I'm not sure. I'm just gonna say, I'm just gonna say that Kalina will definitely yell. It's like Marcus, you idiot! He was looking for that. <laughs> I tried to change it into my own thing. I'm new. I don't know what's going on here. <laughs> I love it. I can speak weird words now. <laughs> oh my gosh. Oh my god. Sylvie definitely also would have yelled Marcus's name, but also... But more in just like an... Oh, what the hell are... What? what? You're, supposed to be a, you're supposed to be a rude, not, not a barbarian. Are you trying to get yourself killed? Again? <laughs> yeah! Well, you weren't dead, but... We can have a deep theological discussion whether Marcus really cares about his own life at this point. But we're not there yet. This is the prologue, so... <laughs> <laughs> Oof. Oh my gosh. And we all just had to, like, deal with, like, God knows what tra- traumas in this house. <laughs> oh man, we all need counseling. Like, all of our characters. I hope that there's a prison community counselor service group therapy 